Hello, Kiss Army. I can't even do it. Mark, you made me laugh now. <laughs> okay. This week on Three Sides of the Coin, first of all, I come in late. And that right there is just, just very disappointing. Second, we're joined by Ron Albanese um, on the show. And the tables are turned because he is going to interview us and talk about his new awesome book coming out. So stay tuned. And we learned that Mark can get the groove on. Groove is in the heart. Oh, yeah. Groove is in the heart. Groove is in the heart. <laughs> this is Three Sides of the Coin, talking all things KISS. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin.
Want to get your official three sides of the coin logo and shocker tee? Now you can. We ship worldwide. Get yours online at shop.threesidesofthecoin.com. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin. I'm one of your, for right now, three co-hosts. We're going to have a fourth. She's going to be joining us a little bit later. But I'm Michael Branville. we got Tommy Summers, Mark Cicchini, mm-hmm. and that other guy. We'll get to him in a little bit. You, If you've been a longtime listener, you know who he is. <laughs> this is like his fourth time here. Um, but how you guys doing? Good. Hey, we got to come up with the for those guys who are like, you know, like Alex and stuff. We got to call it the Arquette or something. We have to really dedicate something to Peter Arquette because I think Peter's, what, five, six times? He's at least five times. There's a couple Can people that it, like, are close Arquette on him. Or something? We have to think something. We could, we could create the three sides of the coin Hall of Fame. We could induct, yeah. you know, people into our Hall of Fame. Shouldn't we? But we really should tip our hat to Peter somehow, though, with that. Well, sure. I mean, he will we'll definitely induct him as, you know, the craziest fan out there who will sleep <laughs> in the bushes. Porno theater. bushes. <laughs> porno theater. But if Peter, if Peter is, uh, you know, by name, the award itself or something should be in the shape of a VHS tape. Yeah. Since we all got our videos from him in the 80s, you know. Yes. There you go. That's good. I like that, Ron. We, it is. We can, we can induct Dave Stryker as an honorary bootlegger. <laughs> totally. Dave Stryker, man. Hey, Dave. I hope you're watching. Dave is one of those cool guys, those those KISS fans from Connecticut that all had Ace Freely haircuts. There's like three or four of them, and they all have Ace haircuts from, from Connecticut. <laughs> Dave, I hope you're doing good. I'll see you New Year's Eve. Um. So... You know, I was just going to ask Ed to do his part of the show, but Ayo. Christ, he's just left already. <laughs> so it's, it's all a blur over there. It, it, it is all a blur. I mean, I was going to have him read a comment or two, but odds he wasn't even prepared to do that. So, Ron, this is why Tommy's on his last legs with this show. <laughs> I don't care. He doesn't watch the show. So he'll never know. <laughs> Just read a comment. Um, you know, is there anything new in the Kiss world? Hell no. Yeah, you know what? Is Hold there? on, guys. That Peter Chris video. Oh yeah. Just watched it. Want to tell us about it, Mark or Ron? Um, hold on. Before we get to this. As Mike and what's the other guy's name? That's usually well. Sometimes he's here. Ed. Ed or something. I've been bugging those guys for a while now to do an all Peter Chris episode. But it's going to take some work because I think I'm the only one who kind of knows his solo catalog. At least I, I would like to buy a ticket on that. <laughs> okay. I, that was a, nobody got that reference. Did you get that reference, Mark? You got that. Come on. Buy a ticket. That's Ace, Tom Schneider. When he talks about the space shuttle. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Now I know what you're talking about. But we're talking, all right. Anyway. <laughs> but anyway, dude, I, I, a full Peter Chris episode, I would even do, I would want to do the catering for that. <laughs> like, I'd be, and that's because catering starts with CAT, of course. But I would be ooh, totally into ooh. that. This guy's sharp. <laughs> he is. 
I don't think we need I'll, that other guy I'll who's say. left. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to do an all Peter Chris episode because I think it would be kind of revealing. Now, I'm very vocal just because as a drummer, I mean, he he was the reason I, I picked up a set of sticks to begin with. But I'm also honest enough to realize by by the end of the live two tour, the guy who was so inspiring when I listened to Kiss Alive didn't play like that anymore. And by the reunion tour, it was brutal, you know. Um, and I just found out some stuff recently that maybe I'll share. I have to get some kind of permission um, to share a little bit about some of the later stuff. Now, I can't go into it now. But anyways, my point is this. Peter, at one time, was really good. And I and I and I there's there's a big story there because being I'm a big archivist. If you read a lot of the solo record reviews, or not even so much a lot, but some of them, Peter was was the one that the re- critics liked the most. They thought it was he's got a good voice. I mean, stuff that we know is kissing because vocals, you know, were really good, and he had a great sort of vibe. Which leads me into what we were just, you know, talking about the, uh, um, uh, the the video. He sings along to the records, so I think it hides a little bit. But I will tell you, and this is not a rip on him. This is just being honest. Boy, he looks old. He looks really old. Well, how old I, is he now? Is he like seventy three or four? Seventy five, I think. He's got a good three years on Gene. If Gene's born in 49, Peter. I think he was born in 45. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. And look, guys, I you have no, because when some, my friend actually posted it, and it's a silhouette, at least the picture that I saw. So I, I just went, why is somebody, you know, I thought somebody just put a bunch of pictures up to that song, which is a good song. Isn't yeah. it, was it Don't You Let Me Down? Was that the one that? Uh, yeah. 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 I really like that song. That's a good song. Um, but I didn't know what it was until I saw like a couple, three more of my friends posted it. And I'm like, why is ever? Then I'm like, did something happen to Peter? So right. Like, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, holy shit. That's because I don't know what it's like on your computer. But it was just like a silhouette, and it looked like somebody at a laptop or something. It was know? like a living room. All I saw yeah, was a living yeah. room. Somebody texted it to me this morning, and I didn't even—I just didn't even look. I thought somebody made like a homemade video to the track or something. That, that's what I thought. So, anyways, and then Russell sends it to me, and, and I literally just finished watching it that when mm. Russell sent it to me, and I'm like, "Wow, that's look." Peter, yeah, nice job on it. I thought it was really good. I'm, I'm waiting for Gigi to send it to me. Yeah, but no, I, I thought it was really cool. More, more important than anything, I, I appreciate the effort because that's not that's something. Again, if we do an all Peter Chris episode, that I'm going to be very critical of. He pretty much got what he sowed, which meant he didn't sow anything, so nothing was ever there to grow. He never toured. Well exception you know uh, the the cat one tour i mean for the most part it's funny uh again tommy get the bell ready i was talking to the guys okay. on the movie the other day and we were looking for interviews of peters from the 70s and i said don't look there aren't any i said there are no audio or video interviews 
And Kiss, if you, Kiss fans, if you want to trust me, I, please. If if I'm wrong, because and I actually reached out. I, matter of fact, I ended up. I was talking to Joe Marshall and a couple other, you know, <laughs> good friends of mine who are, you know, every bit as or bigger Kiss geeks than I am. And we were putting our, our you know, thinking caps on. We're like, you know what? I think the the only solo audio or video interview of just Peter is the one from Tom Schneider in 1980. Yeah, that might be. Well, before that. Well, wait a minute. Are you just are you um, not including the black box interview? No, 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 no. I'm talking about ABC News or WMMS sure. or somebody because. Gene did, you know, PM Magazine. Paul did the thing in Seattle. Ace did the thing right. I think, in Cleveland. Peter didn't do one. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. Unless there's some lost, obscure radio station that got a soundbite from him, like on cassette backstage. No, no, no. no. This is This is. They're not talking about a group interview where Peter. No, I know. I know. Is there a Peter Chris, and it's not like when he sat down for somebody at Circus Mag. No, no. Something that was broadcast on radio or TV of just Peter and an interviewer. Right. I can't think of one. Just Donahue and the Tomorrow Show. No, 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 no. This is pre when he was in Kiss, 79 back. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, because 80, you would have to throw in what? The Robert Klein show, right? Because on that. Like right. I said, but it doesn't count. Right, right. While he was a member of KISS. He um, does talk. He, he talks on 2020 for a minute. He says he wants to make all the girls in Holland on that other thing. Uh, this, but no, it's scant. It's yeah, scant. <laughs> no direct interview with Peter that wasn't part of a group sort of setting. Yeah. So, yes, if you want to split hairs, the, you know, the thing on ABC, the 2020 yeah, they gave yeah. him 15 seconds. But no, they're talking about sitting down and just talking to Peter. So anyways, I thought the video was really cool. Um, uh, like I said a second ago, I love the fact that he put some effort into it. He looked really good. I mean, like I said, I, I, he looked older, obviously, because he is. And and again, please, it's not a slight. I'm just saying. Last time I saw him was with Tommy in L.A. What was that, January of 2018? Yeah, probably. That was the last time that I saw him in person. and uh, But, man, I, I thought his vocals were good. Again, he's singing along to the track. Um, but, uh, yeah, thanks, well, Pete. That was cool. You know, I, I would say, you know, let, let, let's plan to do a Peter Chris show. But I think one thing we have to make part of it is we all have to do a roundtable review of his last solo album. I still haven't gotten through it. I can't. Doesn't matter. We gotta do a review of it. It's part of his career. Uh, wasn't that like shark sandwich? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> All right. I, I'm, hoping, real. I'm hoping everybody got real. the reference. But, uh, um, yeah. Tommy, any chance you got any comments to read? No, sorry. I just I've been just swamped today. I didn't get a chance to look at anything. I haven't even seen the numbers from this week. I haven't had a chance to read anything. So numbers from this week are like a hundred thousand plays that I've bought so far. You said you're going to get two hundred thousand. I'm going to spend the extra money next week. Oh, okay. By well, the way, Mike, we're we're 
coming up to a big uh, milestone here. We, we are fast approaching, probably by the end of this year, 7 million total plays on the show. That's good. I'm, I'm trying to find where we can get one of those ginormous plaques that's got seven discs on it, the world map, all of that sort of stuff. Awesome. I love it. Well, Uncle Gene should should do that for us. You want to ask him? <laughs> no. <laughs> In a word, no. No. I, repeat too um, I, have, uh, uh, I found some comments. Uh, do you want to hear some comments on your last episode? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God! This guy, this guy's looking to Look take your this. your job, Tommy. I said no. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> Tommy, I'm also selling houses now. <laughs> nice. Uh, all right, here we go. Uh, Marco Scorda says, fantastic episode. Nico is such a great guy. He must be an Italian. I don't know what gave him that idea. From the start in the 80s until the end of 2001, I was in his Kiss fan club. Dude, Nico, Nico's episode was great. Uh, uh, Vinny Vincent, uh, uh, no good when he's talking, I want to, I got to talk to Nico. Vinny Vincent, uh, he ruined the kiss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, he's a good songwriter, but he can't. I, he was, I, I would say to Nico, though, I would say, Scusi, Nico, Domande, Pefevore, uh, uh, Vinny Vincent, uh, Scritta, uh, uh, Buona, uh, Su uh, Lick It Up Disco, Si, Vero. Moto importante, see? And I want to see if he agrees with me. All right. So, because you know something? Yes. I was just going to say, so first homework question, somebody's got to translate that in your homework answer. Yes. That's good. Mark should know that stuff. <laughs> We're big Ed and little Ed. <laughs> the Eds are multiplying. So... Okay, so going over to John Stromberg, the problem with the 90s zines is the majority were ripoffs. Stripe was one of the minority that gave their subscribers what they paid for. Very true. So, nice. Yeah, I thought John was going to go negative there, but he ended up positive. Um, John Raptus says, I remember Nico well. I wonder if he remembers me and my zine, Kiss This. I think I remember that zine, Kiss This. I thought Kiss This was out of Canada. I think it is. Maybe, maybe John yeah, was a John, John. You can clarify this. Is it the same zine that was out of Canada and it was run by a well, it was run by a woman, I believe, in Canada. Maybe oh John was God, a writer. She put that book out, huh? She put the book out right with the black cover. I don't know. Oh God! Wasn't that wasn't the book called Kiss This? There was a Kiss This book. I know. Yes. It was a totally. So that's what we might be confusing it with. But I, I thought Kiss This had some cool, um, like artwork too, like hand drawn stuff. Unless I'm I'm mixing up my the, Kiss fans. The the, the so many great ones. The, the Kiss, Kiss This, this fanzine I'm, I'm like, thinking of was yes. a, like a full size, full color. Oh really? Sim similar to um, Strike. <laughs> But she, I think she was out of Canada because when I first started Kiss Otaku back in 95, she was one of the fanzines that I started working with and saying, send me your fanzines and I'll put them online. Hold on. I might be able to go grab mine. 
<laughs> so so we'll, we'll bounce while he's looking, and that was like a fast leap out of that chair. Wow, he's he's on a mission. Um I'll go over like to Gerald. By, 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 by the way, just, just this, yeah. need, this needs to be revealed to everybody because it's just too funny. Mark, <laughs> before coming down, said he took a shower and he's free balling it during this show. <laughs> so, everybody, be careful. There's only a thin layer he's, of gabardine between him and the boys. He's he's more <laughs> he's more aerodynamic or something. So. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Gerald, going over to Gerald Deemer, cheers from Germany, Nico. Strike was my Bible when the original Kiss reunited. Sorry about that. Somebody just tried to call me. Uh, but he actually put a picture, actually, on the Three Sides page of all of the issues of Strike, apparently, or a bulk of them. And it's it's really cool That's to awesome. see all together. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Keep riffing. We're still waiting on Mark. No problem, no problem. So you know, he probably uh, stopped off for a snack. Here, here's an interesting. Um, this is under the comments of the episode, but Paul Fajelseth, Fajelseth, it's a FJ combo kind of thing. Paul, sorry. Uh, Creatures lick it up and animalize are simply better albums than Asylum, Crazy Nights, and Hot in the Shade. Now, Paul is very wrong about Asylum. However. I feel he brings up a great point that when you start to look at the no makeup thing, there is a clear dividing point after 86 going forward. Um, and there's a couple of no makeup eras to me. Um, and, and the only way I would describe it is I, I, I love uh, Lick It Up, Animalize and Asylum. And I, I like some other stuff past that too, but I start to feel a different vibe uh, creeping in during crazy nights. I almost sense the desperation uh, to get ahead. I think that's a part of it. I'm not discounting performance. I'm not discounting some awesome songs, but I feel a change. And I always called it California Kiss. When they finally all moved to California, I felt that something changed there. Um, but do you guys I, agree with that? I, I think yeah, the, no, I mean, the, that's... the other thing with Crazy Nights is, let's remember, that's like the first album where they they took like, over a year of yeah. downtime while they waited for Ron Nevison to become available. It was normally, you know, Kiss is always tour, record, release, tour, record, release, back to back to back to back. With right. Crazy Nights, they got done with the Asylum tour and they did nothing for over a year. Well, that's why Exposed was the holdover, right? Right. Ex Exposed was supposed to keep it percolating a little bit while they did this gamble of hiring a big money producer. Um, you know, they were on that hamster wheel, like you're saying, of every September there's a new Kiss record. They keep those advances coming in. They do these, you know, break even to small profit tours, you know, which we thought were huge animalized and stuff. But as you know, factually, yeah, they were they were they definitely needed to keep working. You know, they were a work a day band, as uh, C.K. Lent called. And so you're right. When I heard that they were taking an extended break, to, I was like, where is this record? I want this record. You know, I was trained for September, right? Yeah. You know, I also wonder if by the time Crazy Nights was coming around, if the Gene and Paul division was really getting to, and I assume it was, getting to its peak. That's a great be point. Because that's, that the, that's also, you know, when Paul decides to go out and do his solo tour in that that era of the unmasked kiss. So, you know, was was 
animalize an asylum, even though Gene was already going Hollywood and doing movies, was he more a little bit more involved in each of those albums that by the time Crazy Nights came along, he was just like checked out and said, Paul, you run with it? Oh, I think so. I think the chasm was even greater on, on Crazy Nights and Hot in the Shade to where the point was you felt almost like two bands. It was a very, uh, and I think we've said this before, like a, a, a multiple personality kind of kiss. You know, the, the Gene and Paul songs were like a big divide. Paul was on a mission with Crazy Nights. He was trying to be 10 years younger than himself. But he was writing that, you know, anthemy, younger kind of thing. And then Gene comes, and that's not a Gene bag, you know. He's writing these more coming-of-age things. Um, you know, he's he's uh, waxing philosophical kind of on Hot in the Shade, you know, with some of his songs. The street's going to giveth and taketh away. And I did say street. Um, you know, so they, they had multiple personalities, the record, they didn't, they didn't mesh their songs. Whereas maybe on asylum, Mike, they kind of still went together. Yeah. I I kind of feel like an asylum, there was a little bit of meshing going on and by revenge, the mesh had come back again, but between those two, you're right. It was, I felt like it was just, and this is all because we can look back now and we know history, history. That was the great divide between Gene and Paul, between Asylum and Revenge. I'm guessing if some, you know, if Gene and Paul were to be honest and go, when was it at its worst, would probably fall between those two albums. Well, did you notice, though, too, they, I think kind of what happened with, you know, after that asylum didn't do what they hoped it would do meaning they were going to have like a bad animals you know heart sort of you know aerosmith and you know i think that's how i'm hot in the shade they just said fuck it they're demos the fucking kids are going to buy it regardless oh yeah yeah i I, I, i'm sure they just like why spend the fucking money we why hire a a producer we just we spent a we wasted not wasted but we took a year off spent a lot of money on ron nevison and yeah it sold a little bit more but it didn't sell dramatically more like it was expected to do and by the time shade came along they were just like that's fine let's just do it ourselves we save the money we pocket the money but that's short-sighted. That's really short-sighted. You do not put out a hot in the shade against a pump or a Dr. Feelgood. These guys are spending up team millions putting out these slick, major productions. And Gene and Paul are saying, you know what? We, like you said, we, we wasted all this money on Nevison because the return, the recidivism wasn't there. Um, and, and, you know, wow, we just got to make this, get this advance and pocket it. We're going to try to build some value into it. We're going to go to 15 song route. You know, they did that. But you got drum machines and demos for the most part. Yeah. That was the second time that didn't work. They thought they were going to get the wall with Ezra. Yes, (laughs) totally. They they thought they were going to get heart or, you know, or pump with nevison or even ultimate sin they thought they were going to get an ultimate sin that's, well, that's you my, know that's my point it never yeah. never happened so that's how come i'm like i could see if, put it this way if I, if I was gene and i'm you know being frugal well look we already tried the major producer thing we're just kiss we're gonna sell x amount of records and that's just what we do we make our money on the road 
I also think they didn't know at the time what they had. They still were looking forward, trying to stay competitive and stay moving with all these other bands. And they didn't realize, I think, what they have until the reunion hit. So there's a piece of that as well. It was almost like they were, um, to Mark's well, I, point. You know, I, I think what it, it, it just all illustrates is that Gene and Paul have to be equally committed to the band, to the recordings, to everything. When they both became equally committed, Revenge, we got what could be argued as an incredible, near-perfect Kiss album, great look, everything. The whole package was there again. It was like a 1970s Kiss, but it was now in 1992. Everything I'm was working. That's how I felt. Um, By the way, real quick. This was um, oh, oh, so so yeah. that that that's not kiss yes, this. Mark. I know that book. I've got singer. that, but that's not kiss this. No, no, but this is that book I was talking. This is from Canada too. Is there a name? Yeah. What's the name of the is the of the author on that? It's a book. I mean, it's a, this is a book book. Yeah, but who's the author? Wow, I'm telling you, it was it was a chick. Vivian, what's her name? Vivian Ferris Singer, I think. Or Vivian Singer Ferris. That could be her. That I'm pretty sure it her. is. That's I, 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 I got to go on the. I got to go do some googling and, and look. But there, there. I can definitely picture. We should ask Greg about this. It's out of London, Ontario, Mount Olympus Enterprises. Let me um. Let me see what I can find on Google here. Who's that? Is that Paul signed that? Is that a Paul yeah. autograph? Yeah, I, real quick, I'll show it to you. This is a good book. By the way, I, the reason I knew where it was cool. is because I'm going to be selling some of my doubles. I, this is, I have two of these. So. And what was the year of issue on that? That's like a... It's just Revenge. Meetings. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Lots of interviews, lots of photos. Um, you know, right here, again, this is really cool. Making of revenge, you know, good stuff. So that looks like um, that's like a compendium maybe of the fanzines. Here, let well, me let me. It's funny because they talk about the Kiss Crazy. Can you guys see this? Wow. Yeah. And again, this is a book, right. a regular. This, this is yeah. The, kiss this. That's this fanzine that I'm thinking of. Kiss this fanzine. Yes. Yeah, in here, they're t uh, they got interviews with uh, Ron from, um, you know, his uh, whatever the firehouse. Um, a lot of a lot of uh, Canadian Kiss content. There's a lot of good information contained in those fanzines. Well, I, I don't think what, here's here's some, know, here's some of it. I mean, these are you know when you'd give wow them, yeah I, I'm telling these things are gold. And I you see you Paul's what, answer there? Just, you see Paul with Paul put his answer there? I'm only doing kiss as that first question. That's a direct commentary. <laughs> yep. To his partner in crime. There's so many layers to that though. You know, that there really is. You know, we, Paul, we we've learned you know. a lot more about it over the decades, but I still think we haven't got everything. 
Right. You know, and, and mainly because right. I don't think Gene has really come out and talked about it. I mean, other than saying, yeah, he checked out, he went Hollywood, he yeah. was gone, he came back. and But nobody's really talked about what happened to the dynamic between Gene and Paul. And, and more importantly, how close were we to kiss ending because of that? Right. To Paul saying, right. I'm just, that's it solo tour it's going to become the paul stanley band from now on best of luck in hollywood gene yeah yeah now, you know, now that's an interesting yeah go ahead i was just say all of us as people yeah. human beings have made mistakes and maybe this is one of those areas that gene just isn't necessarily proud of and doesn't really want to talk about it that I mean, could be that's could, possible. very well could be yeah well listen there was a complete time i believe when gene simmons lost faith in kiss i believe that i believe that he was truly looking beyond kiss you know and and i don't think paul ever got to that point no i would agree with that it, you know? it, all right so so let's go in an alternate universe I, i've been talking about this with some buddies recently so okay 87 comes mike like you said to your point paul decides paul and gene decide kiss is going to go on ice for a while we're gonna we're gonna shut this down and Gene's going to pursue his movies, which he probably did fantastically well with financially. He got decent enough reviews. He's doing movies. He's doing HBO things. He's doing Miami Vice. He had a full acting career going. Like, he had an acting career that people, you know, that go to cattle calls try to get, right? He, he had a deal going, like, you know. Um, right. And Paul goes solo. But a Paul Stanley solo. Sure. I think he could have done good. He does. I'm, a, I'm the man for you. He does time traveler uses all that material. But I think if he had those thoughts at some point, probably said, no, but somebody probably said, no, you have equity in the name kiss. You got to go out as kiss. Well, and I think that's why. Yeah. I, and, and, and I actually think there was an interview that Paul did at some point during that time where it was this 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 was sort of brought up to him are you thinking of going solo are you going to become a solo artist and yeah. and paraphrasing it what i recall was his answer was basically no kiss i i can't be bigger than kiss kiss will always be a big name yeah. a big brand i'm going to keep kiss alive now you know that that brings up a twist to that alternate re reality what if Kiss continues at that point in time without Gene Simmons? Right. Interesting you know, point. And, and that's, I think it's a more plausible thing to have happen then than now when you've got the demon and the, the characters back. But if he was that vacant, that's a possibility that it could have turned into Paul Stanley is the only original member in the band. I don't see that working in any way, shape, or form. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just no, saying. No, no, no. I'm just first. saying. I don't. I. I think Paul Stanley is smart enough to go. We 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 need each other. He, not that he was a, a the demon at the time, but he was a a character still. He was, he was yeah, still no, he cute. was a draw. He was he was an equal part of it to the fans. Now he may not have been the right. equal part in the band behind the scenes. You know, putting his share of the work in. We'll never really know that. But yeah, I think I, I think you're right, Mark. It would have never worked. But I would be curious to know if there were ever discussions of that, where management or people around were going, you know, you could 
continue Kiss without Gene? Do you want to think about this? I don't, this? Do I don't even think this? that got off the ground. I, I would Paul Stanley would go Paul Stanley first before he would put. Honestly, who, who? Don't get me wrong. People have attempted it. I mean, look, Richie Blackmore got replaced, but it. My my point is when you are that much of the band, um, that that's a that's a tough. Put it this way. Using probably the the biggest band or one of the biggest bands of all time. Well, two. There's two good examples. You know, when 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 Waters left Pink Floyd, it they were able to still carry on without him. Was he? You'd have to be like a really big nerd, I think, a Pink Floyd nerd to go. Well, I'm not. It's a different band. I, I'm not. You know, paying attention to them. And the same yeah. thing when the Stones replaced. Uh, well, what the hell is his name? The bass player, Bill Wyman. Bill Wyman. Um, you know. I, you know, they obviously could replace, you know, Brian Jones or, you know, Mick Taylor and, but Keith and Mick are, you know, that's how come I think Mick and Keith both did solo records and neither one of them would have left. And I think while Kiss is not on the same plane as the Rolling Stones, Gene, Gene is recognizable in, in many ways, and I no no disrespect to Paul, but in many ways, Gene is the brand. Oh no, I, I, you're completely right. I just no no. I, I I know that you guys all understand that, but my point with what I'm trying to get to is that I think Paul would have went. You know what? I don't care what the record company or management says. I'm not bringing in a guy to play the four strings. But uh, but I guess my me. my my point is, did Paul himself even? have that thought because it's 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 different to talk about it now in 2020 when we know everything that ended up happening but as you say mark timelines everything go right back to 1987 when there was clearly headbutting and probably anger and disappointment and other issues between the uh, two and jealousy and, and yeah and jealousy and you know, and jealousy going both ways, but, you know, was there a thought? Was there a time of like, okay, Paul, you know, what, it's time, we got to talk. Or Paul's like, hey, right. Glickman Marks, who was their manager in 87, we need right, to talk. Right. What What are my options here? What if Gene never comes back to the band? What, okay, I, what can I right, do? I'm, I'm going to give you something that would speak to your point. I couldn't see it happening. I agree with Mark. However, we're forgetting about another huge thing in the timeline that would have maybe played into that. And that is Gene becoming a dad. I think Gene was really into that part. If you look at Smashes and how Paul just kind of spearheaded that whole project, I mean, to the point where you have a Gene Simmons in the Let's Put the X in Sex video, and he clearly doesn't even know the song. He's literally asleep in that video, too. Like, he doesn't even know what song he's doing. Like, you know, Gene was doing his dad thing, becoming a dad. They were going ahead with Smashes, which was completely a Paul Stanley project. That's a Paul Stanley project from top to bottom, um, which I think was maybe it was a conversation. You know, Gene, maybe you're going to take a break for a while or something. I don't know. It's kind of a wacky thought, but you might have a point. I mean, how 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 many things do we know about and don't know about during that era did Paul do to 
push Gene's buttons to go, see, I'm, I'm moving forward. This band is not dying. It's me. This is my, well, this see, album is now my album. If you don't like it, you can't say anything about it because you didn't want to be part of it. You know that that that's sort of like, you know, the great official Kiss Tell All book of the '80s needs to be written and really rip the curtain off of what was going on during that era. Because one of the things when we have guests on from that era, I'm always trying to well. Do you recall anything going on between Gene and Paul? Do right, you recall right, right. tension? Do you recall, did it feel different? You know, and nobody's really come out and said yes. But I got to imagine at some some of these meetings, some of these discussions, there had to be somebody going, wow, Paul's just pissed. Paul is fucking pissed right now. All right. And also on another piece of that too, Mike, though, you could say, Gene could turn around and say, well, look, Paul, you say you're the hero of Kiss. You say you're saving us. Guess what? Crazy Nights didn't do what it should have done. You're writing these songs with keyboards. You're bringing all these co-writers. We're parading around like we're 10 years younger than we are. It ain't working. I mean, you know, Gene could have said that to Paul at that point, too. But, but yeah, I mean, you're 100% right. But I could imagine the easy comeback is you weren't here. You didn't take part in it sure. so you can't really yeah. criticize that it didn't work or what would work if you think something else would have worked how come you didn't come in the studio how come you didn't you know really focus on being part of the band why did you leave it up to me to do what i think was best because honestly as we all know even though you said like smashes is a paul stanley effort crazy nights is a paul stanley solo album with the kiss logo yes. on it that's what it is okay. That's exactly what Paul is as a person. Crazy Nights is what he was in the 80s. I agree with that. Mark, do you agree with that? That pretty much Crazy Nights is like a Paul solo record? Sure. Not, there's yeah. no two ways about it. Yeah. I, I think Paul will be the first one to tell you that. I mean, he pretty oh, much yeah. talks yeah. about that in his books. There's, you know, I, I remember it may be in the more current one, although there's not a ton of Kiss talking, but something tells me that... Where he talks about the smashes, thrashes era, where you know he put on his little chainmail vest and you know just it, you know it was so far removed from the kiss that I fell in love with. You know what I mean? It, yeah. Because I got it, it was tough to stay a fan there. Again, you know, I was I gravitated to the more heavier stuff, and I mean, Kiss remained my favorite band, but boy, they were pushing it, man. Wait, wait, Mark Ciccini, you didn't like the Rock Hard video? You? You didn't yeah. like that? Yeah. <laughs> you didn't go out and get a chainmail shirt? You didn't do that? I, you know, the, the thing I remember as a fan, the first time I saw those videos was, Paul doesn't have a guitar. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and I guess to a, Kiss, to a Kiss fan, that could be a big thing. To everybody else, like, so? So what? No, dude, but, that was like a full message. But, but, like, yeah, that yes, was. When absolutely. I saw that, I was just like, holy <laughs> shit, Paul Stanley doesn't have a guitar. He's just the lead singer now. He's not a guitar player. I never I'm, I'm saw sorry, that I'm before, calling. and I remember just like, wow, what does 20, this mean? I just called 1-800-KISS. I'm sorry. I was busy. Uh, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but you're so right. You're so right. And... Um, no, I, I loved Let's Put the X in Sex. I unabashedly get a kick out of that tune. I get it. It's a Robert Palmer rewrite. It's another bit of desperation from Paul, who just wanted to save our favorite group. But 
Yeah, I, I think that's a kitschy, great thing. But would it have charted better if it was just a Paul Stanley single, a side project? Maybe it would have done better. Pro- you know what? Um, I, honestly, the answer is no. And I could probably imagine that the record. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> the, 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 record, the record label probably would have said, uh, no, this has got to come out under the KISS logo, not Paul Stanley. Otherwise, wait, we're not investing money. I'm going to say one thing to you in response to that. David Lee Roth. It could have been another crazy from the heat for Paul Stanley. Yeah, I think David Lee Roth is in a whole world of his own, though. <sighs> I really do. I mean, you know, yeah, you know, Eat em and Smile, amazing. It was a killer album, but but I just don't see. I I think the labels know more, maybe more so than even Kiss knew, especially back then. And what we know as fans, Kiss was the always going to be the outsider, always going to be the underdog, always be disrespected. Yes, yes. Didn't but, have the machine behind them like Aerosmith did. And 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 the band members aren't real mu- are seen as not real musicians, not credible songwriters, right. and therefore the strength is the logo. I mean, as a branding marketing person, you're going the Paul Stanley logo, the Kiss logo. If I'm going to invest $10 million in releasing a product, what logo do I want on to help me recoup that $10 million? It's going going to be the KISS logo. We'll give you a solo album as a thank you. You can go off and because didn't they? They had oh. contracts during the eighties. They had. And Saul, there were provisions to do a solo album. Yes, yes, yes. And, and, Sorry, you know, I'm so excited. Them, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, am pretty sure in the most part that was just the label saying, "Yeah, we'll give you guys each a solo album because we're going to make so much other money over here that if we spend a couple million, not spend, if we lose a couple million on your solo albums to keep you happy, it's an investment that pays off." Well, let me ask you guys that, too, because, you know, there's a lot of vanity project provisions in those old school contracts. You know what I mean? Like um, and the more you learn about some of our favorite bands, you find out that a lot of them had those little um, clauses. You know, Um, do you guys know for sure? Like, what was the language of that? Like, were those officially in the contract or were those options that could be explored uh, being Gene and Paul? I don't know, because I've never seen the contract. I've only heard the discussions. Right. Oh, okay. I would guess they were actually in the contract that they could do it, right, but right. not in the sense that it was required they did it, if, if you know what I mean. Because it probably yeah, said yeah. KISS is required to do six albums. That means you want, KISS will do six albums. One way Paul or another, Gene, six albums. Yes, Paul and right. Gene and solo albums, <clears throat> not required. But if they came to us and said, oh, we were taking an, a year off between Asylum and Crazy Nights and Gene Simmons wants to do a solo album, sure. Yeah. And there, if you we'll ask me, if you're Paul Stanley in the 80s, um, I think he was really looking at two guys a lot as far as solo stuff. I think that one would actually be Mick Jagger. I think he was watching uh, Jagger come out with Lucky in Love and uh, – just Another Night is the other one. I think he was watching Mick do his thing. And I think he was really, I think a huge template for Paul was David Lee Roth. The more I go back and study that stuff, as I am wont to do, and that's W-O-N-T, I think he was really trying to emulate David Lee Roth a lot. Um, and, you know, because he became party Paul, right? Like around, 
Lick It Up comes out, they tour Europe and they're doing like these serious musical interviews, you know, like because because Lick It Up was a real big hit musically in Europe. Kerrang was like really into that new sound. You know, it almost fit in with the new wave of British heavy metal, Lick It Up. And um, and then like halfway through that tour, if you watch the interviews like Entertainment Tonight and stuff, Paul starts evolving into Party Paul, where he's becoming like the full peacock he became by Animal Eyes and, and, and Asylum. You know, and, it, I, and I love that. I, I, I would describe it more as the MTV Paul. That that's that's where we end up getting like wasn't it during the asylum era he did some Christmas headbangers ball special yeah. where yes. he's laying on the yes. couch and it's like yeah that's 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 glamming it up for MTV. It was so disingenuous though. I I, I felt it was just disingenuous then. But but you know well, what you're... the Kiss Exposed video was right in that wheelhouse too because I okay, remember but... even wa- I remember watching it. And going well, there's a lot of cool stuff here, but oh my God, are they just layering on the fricking syrup I'm on, and sugar in this thing? It's just fake. I'm on record saying I did, you know, much like Kiss meets the Fan of the Park, bum me out. Sorry, Ron. Um, <laughs> although I want to read your book, but, um, you're gonna have to wait five years, first, Mark. Well, all kidding aside, that was the first time I was disappointed, and. <laughs> this is probably about the twentieth time I was disappointed when when I got the you know the home video because I thought it was going to be you know like a regular kind of documentary thing and it was quickly I'm like I was I wanted to crawl wait whoa 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 you expected like a legitimate serious documentary from Kiss in the summer of 1986 not, not so much not so much a serious documentary but more so taking my favorite band seriously. That all, right. all right. What because about, what about, stupid, when, um, stupid. I'll tell you what, all right, I'll give you a great analogy. Um, what is the Will Ferrell movie where he, Ron, what, what's the, Ron Burgundy? Ron, Ron Burgundy. I, I absolutely, that, that anchor, what was that Anchorman? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I yes. thought it was funny, but the guy who played the news guy or the sports guy was too stupid. So it kind of ruined the movie for me that they made the character too dumb. Yep. Like, I get it. You're beating me over the head with the, you know, the slapstick, but you don't have to. Make the character a little bit smarter. It would have made the movie better. I mean, overall, it's kinda I like it. it. Tommy, when you show houses, do you ever go in and say it's kind of like a chamber of horrors meets? Um... Actually, we talk. It's funny you say that, and we talk about the odd room is the kill room. <laughs> you know, but, but guys, excuse me. Hillary and Linda changed places. <laughs> but but that's just it. It was too stupid. I, I, I'm I'm with you on that, Mark. It, it I'm crossed like, the line. Family workout. <laughs> You're, you're insulting my intelligence. It, I, I want, I want you to go. Hey, here's some cool footage from '75. By the way, we were playing Kobo here, and we opened up with, you know, rock bottom this night, and and you know what I mean. I wanted to hear. Uh, yeah, I mean, I you picked the wrong I band, got, Mark. You picked and I the got wrong a really band. Bad Three Stooges is what I got. Real, I, like even funny. Is this the documentary? Um, you're, Three Stooges is really funny. At, at one point, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, you know, Paul went, why I oughta, and, you know, or something. You have a good point there. But 
I bought into the farce of Kiss completely in the eighties. I I love it. Okay, you know, yeah, they were farcical. You know, and and I think um I think the writing in Exposed is really good. I think it's got some really good humor in there. Um, some of the outtakes, you know, what do they say? Uh, they say Kiss is fascist. That's one of the slowest songs we've ever recorded. I'm laughing now. I think it's great. But um, I mean, two points I had here somewhere along the lines. First of all, all the listeners of Three Sides have to make the list of the times that Mark was disappointed by Kiss because you're starting to number them. And you got up to 20? Is that true? You're like, the 39th time I was disappointed by Kiss was... No, I, um, I always say that Kiss Me to the Fan of the Park was the first time because I literally loved, with a capital L underlined three times, everything up to that. It was like, perfect, 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 <laughs> perfect. And I remember sitting down, My I, I, I've told this story before, this was like the perfect storm. My parents went to a wedding that night I had the fucking TV. I, you know, I grew up in a t- big Italian family. You know, I, I I had the, I, oh, I had the TV to myself with a bag of Doritos and a fucking liter of fucking. You keep, know, keep, keep talking. And I'm getting no Lisa. No one to fucking bother me and turn, tell me to turn the fucking thing down. And I cranked it and I sat on the couch and it was fucking Saturday night. And I'm all like, yeah, I'm like. Wait a minute. Are you saying you haven't changed your opinion on Kiss Me to Phantom at all since the last time we talked? Maybe after I read this book. <laughs> maybe I will. That's going to turn it all around, bro. I hope I'm going to. So. <laughs> I got to jump. All right. Uh-oh. Now Lisa's here. Perfect. It's our Hi, Lisa. Bye, Lisa. We can hear you and we can see you, gorgeous. You can't see me. I can see yeah. you. I'll see you guys soon. Mark, Tom, Tommy's leaving. Tommy, you're taking Hi, everybody. Yeah, I've got to go show a house. Okay. All right, give me a call later on. I will. I will. All right. To the Chamber of Horrors line. Don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I was late. I had work stuff. That's okay. Your Your, your presence is so worth the wait. Oh, yeah, I bet. <laughs> Looking pretty hot there, Lisa. Lisa, pan down a little bit. Seriously, we need more Lisa, not less Lisa. That, 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 you know, that Steelers bikini, pretty smoking. Did you see? Poor Brian got so much shit for that. Did you see? Well, that? some of those Kiss fans are just numbskulls. <laughs> they're, 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 they just, they're, they don't deserve to watch you. I love Brian's one word response to mine. <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, anyways, anyways. Um, all right, where were we? That's a great. That's a great. Oh, hi, Lisa. Hi, I'm Ron. This guy. Um, hey there. Uh, that's a killer. That Marshall in the middle. It's like not a mini, but it's not quite like a full size Marshall. This one. Here? Right there. The gray one. Yeah. Mr. Marshall. Yes, that's that's awesome. Yeah, that's Brian's stuff. That's all my husband's stuff. His guitar. He doesn't have any. And it is his name is Marshall, actually, right? Because I could see on the amps. <laughs> yeah. But I'm. I wish. <laughs> We'd be rolling. We wouldn't be having this unfinished basement with crap in the thing over there. And a Look, toilet he, above you. He covered up Bruce's uh, straps. Oh, dare. There's like two key. I see two keyboards, right? There's like an extra emergency keyboard against the wall or something. Yeah, and none of us play, so there's that. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, he has his Yankee. I don't know if you can see any. He has his Yankee stuff. See it right there? Randy Rhodes and who is that? Dave Mustaine. Oh, yeah, I see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, he, <laughs> and all his guitars are over there in the corner. He doesn't have them out right now. So, yeah. He plays. Awesome. But none of us play keyboard, which I think is interesting, but whatever. Okay, so, so what you, did I miss? Well, you're, you're, you're running the show now. Problem. Are you ready to start? <laughs> I'm not running the show. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> no. No, no, yeah. um, no. No, 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 yeah. Um, well, you know what? Ron, should we um, yes. spend a little bit of time doing what we wanted to do on this episode? <laughs> sure, not, not, not? not that the, the, the initial discussion wasn't fun, but we had no, just so everybody knows, we have a topic in mind, and it was nothing to do with what we talked about, even though that was a great discussion. Right, absolutely. So, so I think we should. <laughs> so, Lisa, the original topic here was the Three of us are the guests on the show, and Ron is the host and the interviewer. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I'm doing like a takeover here. Have at it. I want to get to the bottom of everything right now, right now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, all right, so this is episode number what, like roughly, uh, Mike? Uh, what is it again? 390, I think, something like that. Wow, wow. And, you know, you know, one of the the questions I would always think of, like when I when I see podcasts like this and how successful they are and and now you're getting up in a a multi hundreds and episodes and everything. I really am always fascinated with how any of you and this is open to anybody or all how you got better at at broadcasting uh, and or interviewing, you know, things like that, that move a podcast along. That 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 implies (laughs) we've gotten better. Well, you know, I, I think there's ways you probably uh, would think of, you know, maybe in, uh, in terms of timing. Uh, you know, it's hard to do these things. As you know, you mentioned Zoom things with your kids. You know, a lot of times in this video thing, you people end up talking over each other. Like, you don't want to, but it happens. That yeah. Timing becomes an issue. So, I... Um, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I sp- speaking for <laughs> me, my, my response to that is, it, it's not so much that, I think, or even striving to become a better broadcaster or better quality, it's just getting more comfortable talking and being honest and not being concerned that the green camera light is on recording everything. That's that. I think to me, that's always been the biggest hurdle was initially the first time you do it, you're sort of like, oh my God. I'm recording. Oh my God, yeah, they're watching yeah. me. They're going to see this. I got to be careful. Let me think what I'm going to say. Let me do. When you get to the point where you can just forget that and it's just a conversation between three or four people about a topic you love, then just talk and say whatever you want. I mean, you know, Mark says this all the time. The one thing we got about our show is we're completely honest. You may not like what we say, but we're completely honest in our opinions. So you're saying that's something that all of you have really learned is to like relax a little bit. The honesty is coming out when you're more relaxed. Yep. And you're thinking that's something that's definitely resonated, you know, with, not, with listeners. Not, all kidding aside, I'm not saying this for shock value. Not at all. That fuck never even crosses my mind. 
I I approach this as if I'm the guy sitting next to you at the bar or the bus. I don't I I am just as comfortable in front of the red light as I am without it. I, it doesn't matter what you're getting, and, and that goes to what Mike says, you know, about the honesty and everything. I don't know any other way. I don't get nervous. And Ron, I think you can appreciate this because you you're on stage a lot. Um, you know, I've been performing. I, I you know to to quote Paul Stanley, you know, I've never been the ham. I've been the whole pig my whole life. Right. I literally when I was a kid, I I was the first one to raise their hand to public speak. At all my families, because again, it goes back to the big Italian family thing. Whenever there's a eulogy to be done, who do they look at? They look at me. Um, public speaking, none of that bothers. And I think one of the reasons that it doesn't bother me, or I don't give it much thought, is is just part of who I am. So I don't worry. Put it this way: I'm not a fucking journalist. I never said I was, and I don't care to be. I don't aspire to be. Because once three sides is done, you're never going to see my fat ass again unless someone asks me to do this. I'm just doing this. <clears throat> I'm just doing this to have fun with my friends. I'm not a fucking journalist. I'd, uh, yeah, do I interrupt people? Am I loud? And I am, guess what? When you sit next to me at the bar, I interrupt you and I'm fucking loud. And that's that's who I am. What you see here, if you see me on the kissers, you're gonna go, it's the exact same fucking person. You know, there's there was nothing to adjust to because I don't know how to do it any other way, if that makes sense. It makes make make makes complete sense. And and you know, what for for me, where it's it was different is I I have dreadful fearful memories of being in in junior high and high school going oh my god. I'm going to have to give a, a spoken report in front of the class. Oh, my God, don't call on me. I want to be the last person to give this report. I feared public speaking. It just, I hated it. Um, but one of the things I took upon myself like 10 years ago was to start doing public speaking engagements. And one thing I quickly learned is you might have fear if you're forced to talk about something you don't really care about mm -hmm. if it's not something you love now you're kind of forcing yourself through it but if i'm given a talk about music marketing or bands or yeah. using social media that's second nature to me that's who i am so talking about it isn't a problem and talking about kiss please i mean all of us we talk about kiss all the time and that's why the premise of this show from episode one was we're just a bunch of KISS fans sitting in a bar talking to each other. We hit a record button, and that's it. We don't do anything special for that record, which, right, right. which is why, for me, when it's like playing the role of the producer in the show, I don't even prep out for our guests. Meaning, you know, oh, it's Dennis DeYoung or Ted Nugent's going to be on. A lot of people would be like, oh, my God, I've got to read the bios on their last album and I've got to listen to their songs and I've got to prepare my questions. I'm like, fuck, no. He's going to be on on Tuesday. Great. I'll turn on my computer on Tuesday and say, hey, Dennis, how are you doing? That's the prep. You know, I All don't right. I don't do any show prep because what I right. found was when I used to do interviews before the podcast with bands, show prep can be a distraction, at least for me. But I've heard this from other people in the sense that 
you've got your you know you've got 30 minutes and you've got your 12 questions written out in front of you you ask that first question and immediately what you're trying to do is end the answer to that question so you can go to question number two and you end right, question right. two so you can go to three but in the meantime the answer to question one revealed something that was amazing and you missed it because you're too focused on getting to the next step you're on script you're you on know? script and you're following script i mean yeah. i love that when we have the guests on this show and we just start talking and honestly, I mean, it's happened so many times where it's just like, yeah. just goes off on a right tangent, but it was a great tangent. We never intended it to go there, but the guest starts oh, talking about it. That's right, Mark. I want to talk to you about those dynasty bootlegs you keep mentioning. Like you were talking about Peter's uh, stuff with even Nico. And that was great because actually Mike goes, let's not forget about Vinnie Vincent or something. It was a great part in that interview. But uh, that, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. And it makes sense. You know, we're, we're, we're not really aspiring in this format to be journalists. Like you said, it's, it's actually a really good point. And, and me coming up, you know, going to school for writing or whatever, sometimes I have to remind myself of that, that it's really personality driven doing podcasts and stuff. And it's, it's the art of conversation more than anything else it's storytelling so, right yeah and yeah. and and for me it's not necessarily us telling our stories unless we're the only people on the show that week but i want the stories right. from the guest and that's why when you get guests like ted nugent or dennis DeYoung, who just didn't need anything more than a go and they talked for two hours that to me is incredible sit back and let them share their stories because at the end of that interview we've captured right. one or two little nuggets of history that will forever be documented yeah i'm going to piggyback on that because um what was paul's last name lisa the guy from metal Age? oh gargano, gargano. great interview by yeah, the way you, that was a great one episode of my favorite guest but I'll give you a great example of that. Somebody wrote in on the on the comments going, you know, Mark was bored. He didn't say anything for two hours if he can't talk about himself. And trust me, that didn't bother you know how much that bothered me? Zero. But the truth is, the reason I didn't say anything much for the two hours is Paul was what Mike just said. I was I'm look, I'm being a fan of the show. He started sure. talking for two hours and I didn't really want to Ask him anything because he was just on a fucking roll. Yep. Guys, you got to remember, that's, that's where I get back to the, I'm not a journalist. I'm not, I'm you. I'm fucking you. I'm just a KISS fan. I, I, I have no more right to be here than you do. I just happen to know Mike and Tommy and they're my friends. That's how the fuck I got on here. I didn't get on here because well, I had well, to what? go through some intensive thing. You, what about What's me? That? Am I not your friend? Oh. But, honey, I brought you on. That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> and, and, and Lisa, speaking of you, I'm going to start with you on this one. I'm going to go. I want an answer from everybody. Okay. Uh, speaking to that point, then, um, can you think of an episode that maybe just didn't go as well as it could have? For whatever reason, it's not to knock the episode, but maybe something that you didn't feel as good about or maybe you'd like to uh, go circle back to at some point. Uh, uh, is there anything that comes to mind from any of you? You all have five seconds to answer. Go. Not that I, not the, any of the, that I was on. 
But that doesn't necessarily mean that that didn't happen on episodes I was not on. Because usually I'm on when there's no guest. So did you ever hear one, Lisa, that you said, is there anything that comes from? Shut up, Michael. But it's true, right? That's not true. I just didn't listen to the most recent one. (laughs) Um, You can admit it. I don't listen to us. I don't listen to them all the time. I'm trying to think. I have to come back to me while I think. Move on. All right. Mark, you're on. Um, just just so I understand the question one more time, please. <laughs> My thought, Mark, was maybe, maybe there was an episode um, that maybe didn't go as well for whatever reason. That's um, right, because that, that's important. Yes. Because, yes, it is. Again, this part, this is the part about being the the Midwestern Detroit construction worker guy. When that happened. It happened during the show. And I told Mike and Tommy, we're not putting this fucking guy on the show. I wouldn't let him sell. His book is never going to be fucking ready. And we started going. This was during the fucking show. Like, nice guy. But he's trying to sell a book to our audience that I know isn't going to be out in six months. Because he didn't have anything done. So my point was. Is there ever a show? Yeah, we invited somebody to come on and talk about the show. Okay. We're all excited to have him on. And as we're talking, I'm going, this isn't good. This isn't good at all. Matter of fact, we should probably shelve this. And I got a hold of Mike while we were doing the show. And we started communicating back and forth like, um, we can't air this because we can't ask people to send their money in. And I'm not trying to be a dick, but that's what happened that's five years ago. That's the one I was thinking of too. But, but that's my point. But 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 we but you know, and Mark's 100 percent right. That that's a perfect example. But we remedied that by pretty much the next day. The show went up on a Tuesday, and by the next day, we're like, we gotta pull this down, and we put up a real quick statement as to why, and we moved on from there. Um, We weren't trying to be mean. We weren't trying to. We were just telling people again for the millionth time because it piggybacks on your question. I didn't feel right as a human being telling somebody to support something financially that I wouldn't support. Now, we've had books and projects and stuff that come on this show that maybe I wasn't that interested in, but I knew the guy that was doing it was honest and legit and he had his we, shit we together. We knew the and, book was done. We knew it yes. was written. We knew there's yes. a publisher. Yeah. So I'm that's cool. You know, maybe I didn't I really can't think of one because I've pretty much supported everybody who's come on here, but that was a case where during the show it wasn't going good. And it wasn't going good not because of the three of us. It wasn't going good because we we thought and it's Look, I'm going to be, be perfectly honest. We thought that it was only a matter, you know, the, the book had been started and all those other things. And when we found out that, you know, nothing was not done and he says he's going to have that thing out by Christmas. Mike, remind me, that was what, June? That was, And he that, said it was going to be out by Christmas? That was um, six years ago, like this month. So that's, that's what I'm getting at. We, we care... So much that we recognize when things aren't going well. And you're not going to get any half-ass, you know, keep the peace. And another one right along that same lines is when 
it's it's not the same, but it it's the the lines there. When we knew that we were going to have, you know, Jr. and I was going to I was going to bring that I was going to bring that up as an example, Ron, well, because because I just I just talked a bunch. Mike, that go that, ahead and... that that's one where yes. there there's so so the original Kiss Crew book, we were at least at least Mark and I I won't speak for for Tommy, but we were incredibly excited about this book. Super, super excited about this. Book. We we went out and bought this book when on we were our own. Free copies. They want they were they were going to send us free copies. We like no, we bought it. We bought it. We bought it. We yeah. got this book. Um, it was right before Christmas because I remember I was in Florida and I remember sending Mark a message going, "You got your book?" He goes, "Yeah." I go, "Do you think? Are you thinking it's the same thing I'm thinking about this book?" And he's like. Yeah, we were incredibly disappointed in the book at that point. Once we had it in our hands, and we're reading it. So, you know, we we decided to give it still a review because we talked about it so much. And we, and we did review it. And obviously, everybody knows what our review was. It was 100% honest, though. You may not have liked our review, but it was 100% honest. Now, before that review aired... We had already booked Jr. and Moose to come on the following week to talk about it because they wanted to come on. So I knew what this review was going to be like after we recorded it. So I sent Jr. a private message saying, hey, I'm just giving you the heads up. The review is going to drop and you're probably not going to like the review. I will understand if you don't want to come on to the show. You're more than welcome to come on and talk about it. We'll we'll discuss the book and everything else, but I just want you to be aware. I'm not looking to blindside you when you show up. And he's like, I appreciate that. We still want to come on. We still want to talk about it. And then the J.R. Moose episode happened. So were we disappointed in those episodes? No, but we recognized that we had the authors coming on after we gave a bad review and it's probably the proper thing to say you're not going to like this and it's your decision total respect yes or no whatever you want we're not going to we're not going to go off on you if you decide to cancel i'm just letting you know and and to jr's credit he's like no that's fine if you don't like it i'm still willing to come on and talk about it he didn't back down and, I, and right, I will right. tell you what, we all three of us, Tommy, Michael, and I, all three of us repeatedly, though, said, buy the book Go buy and it. decide for yourself. We didn't like it, but sure. we probably like chocolate ice cream and you like strawberry ice cream. That's my whole point. We did everything in our power to help our guests sell their book because this is, again, this is just our opinion. And, I, and I'm going to go a, a little deeper into that story just because, you know, why we're talking about this kind of stuff. I'll never forget, and, and it's not even worth naming, but another podcast host went into the, the, the talk at the time Facebook page and laid some smackdown on the three of us with this. He said, we would never disrespect you. For, you know, on our Facebook page, because he wanted an interview. We oh, would never disrespect yeah. you. And, and I'm thinking to myself, look, 
I don't watch your show. I don't fucking know who you are personally. And I still don't. And I don't care. But what a suck ass. Are are we supposed to, because we're in a KISS podcast, supposed to tell you every single KISS thing is great and go out and buy it? That's not why I'm here. Dude, you got a great... A (laughs) hundred percent truthful fucking how I feel about something. And if you think I'm a dumb bunny, I don't care. A dumb bunny. I don't care. (laughs) You know? I'm just here to share my passion. Oh, I got to write that one down. I felt your attitude was more punk rock than dumb bunny, but I'll uh, I'll accept that too. Is that a cartoon character? Um. But you know, you know, Ron. What I was also going to say is, yes. we've and I can't remember what the episodes were, but we've clearly had episodes, mainly where we didn't have a guest when it was just the three or four of us, where, you know, and 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 again, we don't go into those with a lot of show prep. Like today's episode, we were supposed to have a guest. He had to cancel on us because he had a last minute commitment. So yesterday, we're literally messaging each other, going. Oh, yeah, any, to- yeah. any topic ideas? And I'm throwing some out. Mark's throwing some out. Tommy's throwing some out. And 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 I threw out, you know, the idea of having us interviewed. And I said, and I think, I don't know, Mark, did you bring up Ron or did I bring up Ron? But either way, we were like, oh, Ron would be perfect for this. No, I know what it was. I said, awesome. how about Izzy? And Mark goes, no, Ron would be much better than Izzy. <laughs> Sorry, Izzy. We love you, man. Um, but we've had some of those episodes where it's a last-minute topic, and we just throw out an idea, and then we talk. And at the end of 90 minutes, we, we're all done, and we look at each other. And more than one occasion, we go, God, that was a train wreck. God, yeah. did that <laughs> suck. Shows, but those are the best but shows. To Lisa's point, shows. a week later, that show lands, and in Inevitably, somebody's like, oh, my God, that was the best discussion. It's just you guys being honest, and we love that. T-. And we're, you know, and then, then we'll, the three of us will be, four of us will be chatting. We'll be like, see, go figure. We thought it, we all thought it was a suck-ass show where right. we probably could have said, let's vote. Do we pull the show down and do nothing? And we would have all said yes, but we just let it go, and a bunch of people loved it. Yep. Oh, I, I yeah. got I got one though that I think Mike will agree. When we had the God rest his soul because he's since passed. The the guy from the Gods. Oh yeah, that was that was tough, man. Because they opened for Kiss, they were on Casablanca. Right. Sure, Plus, sure. I, I love that first Gods record. Yes, and, yes. And we're like all super excited, and he just like he was just so out of just, it. Yeah, he it kind of fell out flat. Of his mind. It fell flat. Right, well, you right. know, and, right. and, and, the, and the other the other guest who was sort of that way, although we did get some interesting info, was when we had um, Mark St. John's manager on. You know, it was it was rare to find somebody who could talk about Mark St. John, but this guy was just like all over the place. You know, it was just <laughs> impossible to get him to focus and talk clearly and everything else. And and, you know, I, I suppose if this was a real professional show. The producer would have said, let's bail, let's cut, let's right, right. jump out of this and say, no, it's just like, let's let it go. You guys, meaning all of our listeners, you guys and girls, you get to see the warts and everything when we do this stuff. That's why we literally try to do a a recording from start to finish with no stops, no edits. You get to see and hear everything 
for a two-hour period. You don't just get the nice yeah. stuff. You get the ums and the bo- the boring and the the quiet stuff, and you get the you get the hummingbird flying at Lisa, and you get to hear the toilet flushing above Lisa's head. <laughs> Warts and all. Warts and all. Noticing the re- the reoccurring theme of those has to do with me. It's I'm Lisa. It did go Lisa. It went. It went Lisa heavy in the last minute. There, it definitely did. Um, yeah. All right, so so let's flip it around. Let's go this way. Uh, what's one of your favorite episodes of all time? Starting again, you with you, Lisa. Okay, I have two. I'm gonna do two. I'm gonna go outside the box. So the first, uh, I think the first episode I was on was one of my favorites. Um, I was so nervous, to be honest with you, but probably 10 minutes into it, I felt that I was like, like they always say, like a bunch of guys sitting around a bar. That's exactly how I felt. I just, I didn't even see the camera on. It just, everything just, all my nervousness just went away. And I, I was like, I love this. I just sit and do this all day. Um, the second favorite was the, uh, was it the 300th episode or the 200th that we did in New York? Oh, that um, was a blast. Yeah. That that was so much fun. And I think that, that one and the first one and that one are my absolute two favorites. And then any, and all the other ones where I had some sort of mishap, always my favorite. And the time I did read my body. Oh, yeah. Lisa's singing was and amazing. The, and I did the Paul Stanley rap. That was <laughs> <laughs> Mark? I Watch those oh, mine, mine is. I will. I will. Mine is no surprise. Um, oh, I know which one it is. Yeah, the, the Ted Nugent episode. Just look. Those I, are, I like. Yeah. I like Uncle Ted as much as I like Kiss. Um, and depending on what day of the week you ask me, it's either Double Live Gonzo or Kiss Alive. Um, right. It's my favorite record of all time. You know, Ted had the same effect on me as Kiss, and I'm happy. Much like Kiss, I've met Ted a few times, and, um, you know, when they say, don't meet your idols, well, you know, I got to know the guys in Kiss, um, and, you know, just my meeting with, you know, I've met Ted a few times, and then sharing a couple hours on, you know, on three sides with him, he's everything that I would hope honest and funny and genuine and, you know, um, I, I love that, it's, it's, and, and I want to say, too, and I, it was the same thing when uh, when we had Eric Singer on, and you know he's a damn good friend of mine. And sure, you know, just having that, you know, just being able to have him on, and and I and I got to tell you too, you know, I guess a lot of these kind of meld into one because I love when Russell's on, because like when I talk to Russell and when I talk to Alex and when I talk to Eric. It's no di- what what you see on the show is what my normal phone call is like with those guys. Right. That's you know sometimes I'm on the phone with Eric for two hours, and and it's just nothing but drums and music and you know muscle cars and whatever other shit. And when I talk to Alex, we're talking about you know his collecting and his band and music. And when I talk to Russell, yeah, it's just. It's just uh, it's just so genuine, you know, and that's how come I love having it. Nico was a great example, too. I mean, these are my friends and, and, it, and it's nice when I get to share the people who I love with 
you guys, you know what I mean? It's so I'd like to think that it comes off naturally. So, um, although Ted's not my friend, um, you get that kind of vibe. I like that. And it's no different than when, you know, Nico or Alex and, and even, you know, Peter or Kat and these people who are good friends of mine that, you know, when I, <laughs> Peter or Kat and I on the last kiss cruise sat by, stood by a garbage can next to the bar and talked for an hour and fucking, I don't know, an hour and a half. And I just told my wife I was going to get kiss cups. And I came back <laughs> two hours later. Right, and the first right. words out of her mouth was, who did you run into? Because yep. <laughs> she's, she's so used to that because, you know, even years ago, all my friends hung out at the fucking record store. And we'd go, out. it just... For years, we'd just go up there after we got our paychecks on Friday, and I'd run into all my friends. And I'd leave the house on a Friday night, and I'd sit and talk music with my friends at the record store, literally at the counter for hours. And you'd come back on Sunday. (laughs) But no, that's, again, uh, that's the beauty behind this show, you know? And again, you know, those are the kind of guests that I like the most. Yeah, I like getting to, you know, like Dennis DeYoung was a lot of fun and stuff too, but I like the ones where I can talk about the things I, you know, that we did back in the day. And, right, you know, right. that, that's, that's sure. Part, so. so I would say for you, it would be any episode, you know, where that whole ethos of, of three sides being a hang, a casual kind of thing, following it where it goes is those are the best episodes for you. Yes. Yeah. Mark, do you remember that one time when we put a quarter in a mark? And he just went completely off for like 30 Those are minutes. always fun. Oh, my God. That one, I, that one was so funny. I don't know what you said. You were going off on some, some girl made a comment or something on one, of the, on one of the YouTube videos. And the stuff you said, Mark, was so funny. <laughs> it was like, what did he just say, bunny? Which one did he say? Um, oh, being a dumb bunny. Dumb bunny. Yeah. Dumb bunny, yes. <laughs> you were just saying nonsensical words. I was dying. That was so funny. I'm sorry. I had to interject. Two quick things there, too. You mentioned Dennis DeYoung and Ted Nugent. Those two episodes actually stand out for me in the history of Three Sides because those two guys are so loquacious that it just fit your format, like, perfectly. And there's there's things that if you don't pay attention for half a second, you'll miss either of those dudes saying. For example, there was a line Mark was saying, hey, look, you know, Ted, every time I see you, you're great. And uh, I've never seen a bad show. And Ted Nugent real quick goes, there's no such thing. <laughs> it was just a great little line in there. And I, I was actually driving on the parkway today, back to the shore. And I'm listening to that. And it was a quick little thing. And, and both of those dudes are totally like that. I think they are good examples of how your format really comes to the fore, you know, in working well and letting those guys have that breathing room. So, Mike... Um, you know, so this is like asking a parent which of their children is their favorite. Because a lot of the episodes were just as good as Destroyer. So, I mean, I, 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 I love and I'm proud of every Kiss single fans. episode we put out. <laughs> let's put it. Let's start with that. You know, That's every cool. guest cool. was great. Um, but but some of them that stand out to me. You know, you, you guys have already. But Mike, I got I got to interject there. Are you I, I, just kind of knowing you? Would it be something 
that you're saying every episode is also great because I think you're kind of impressed with the fact that you guys have put this together and, or, and, are, and I don't mean to put words in your mouth that you're, you've created this forum, you know, you guys, you know, and is that something to do with it? Like that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, for, for me, it's all about learning something more about our favorite band. Even, even if we have to talk for two hours and we walk away with 10 seconds of something that we didn't right, know before, right. or we walk away with, that was such an incredible story you just shared, your storytelling. And, you know, we're documenting that to live forever on the Internet. So if Lisa, some, was that Marshall? That was that Marshall that just walked by? Or? <laughs> yes. They said your name must be Marshall because you have so many Marshalls. <laughs> you can come and say hi. Not enough. You can come Not and say enough. hi. <laughs> Tonight he's going to be ripping off all those nameplates. He'll <laughs> no, say actually, Smitty on it next. Actually, hey, Brian. I went almost four miles, some kind of. But uh, I just sold two spawns. I had a spawn half stack and another spawn. So I got to replace those. So I'm going to get something else. Hey, Brian, just to add a little fun to the show, can you go upstairs and flush the toilet? <laughs> <laughs> That's why someone up the stairs is probably what he's going to do. Well, that, that was the other part of the, the the pipe is like literally right above my head. So right now, the show the, we always talk about stuff over you guys' head. Like Mark is in the basement; he has his air ducts, and you have your pipes. And I don't know what's above Mike, but it's got to be interesting. No, I, I've just got a normal ceiling. I don't have I don't have plumbing. Dark. Karen. <laughs> Someone just flushed the toilet. <laughs> um, but 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 back back to your question, Ron. A couple specifics: yes. Ted Nugent and Dennis DeYoung, absolutely great because they were perfect yeah. examples of two guests who have great experience sharing stories and doing interviews. That we could just sit back, open the starting gate, and they just ran. They didn't need guidance. They didn't need prodding. They didn't need anything. Right. They just knew where to go. And they had great sense of humors. Amazing. So they they were great. But um, let's see. Who else? Um, Nobody said Gene Simmons? It's Gene. What do we – nothing new there. Michael James Jackson. Yeah. Because that was like a yeah, holy cool. grail that cool. – Every Kiss fan thought was never going to happen. Not that that it was never going to happen on three sides. That he was just never going to surface again and do an interview. That was a big surprise, right? In the, that, in the fan that world, that was incredible yeah, yeah. that we got Michael James Jackson. Um, the other one I thought was really kind of cool was when we had Danny Goldberg on. Yeah, because I like that. That's a good nuts and bolts uh, kind of because he he. You know, I knew who Danny Goldberg was, big record executive, Mercury Records, everything else. But all of a sudden, he's talking about how he basically was there pushing Kiss to take the makeup off. And he was pushing Kiss to put the makeup yes. back on. And I was just like, right, whoa, right. this has never been revealed as part of the history timeline who was sure. who was the person? Now I'm not saying he was solely responsible, but Danny Goldberg was there saying you guys need to take the makeup off, and who Danny Goldberg the was there saying that. it's right. time to do a reunion and put it back on. Sure, sure. And 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 that Danny even was sort of pseudo manager during the Lick It Up era, something that and and 
Yeah. Never knew. Never knew. I agree. I agree. And and um, I don't have anything here to hold up that Danny Goldberg has been involved with, but otherwise, I um, the 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 other one that still sticks out for me is um, the costume designer for the '80s. Flair. Oh, floor, floor? Uh, Flair, right? Floor, floor, Flair. Yeah, I mean that that yeah, was. She's that, cool. I went into that one thinking, oh, this is just gonna be kind of a little cool, little. Eh, there's a little bit we'll get out of this, and it turned out to be just like, holy crap! You know, we learned so much about Kiss yeah, from yeah. an era that was so controversial amongst kiss fans taking the makeup off the asylum costumes all of that stuff it's like and here's the person who was responsible for putting it together and then learning all like she's the person that did motley Crue shout at the devil holy fucking a yeah yeah she got around and she dressed a lot of the bands that we grew up loving for sure you know you bring up a good side note i would love to find out who secretly was the costume designer for revenge because revenge is secretly a very cultivated look. People think, oh, they, you know, but, you know, the whole plastic, the whole, excuse me, the pleather pants and the clip-on earrings and the shirts with the curses on them. And, well, um, so, so you know, uh, his name just slipped my mind. Who is the man? Oh, you um, know who it is? Larry, Larry Mazur. Larry Mazur, who was the manager. He And it's, maybe it's time to get him to come back on because he was a guest very early in the, in the show. And, yeah. and and again, he's somebody who falls into that era where you didn't really know a lot about what was going on behind the scenes with Kiss. You know, let's be honest, as great as an album as Revenge is, it was in the wrong time. Things were dying for rock and roll at that point in time. So, yeah. Larry, you know, but I do recall Larry saying stuff like, you know, I told him, you know, you've got to get mean you got to look rough uh, you know i told them they have to do this stuff and and he he was yeah. pushing for a lot of what as fans we ended up loving about revenge you know you bring up another good point too and mark i would have to ask you in, in your uh in your archives do you have the actual mailer remember they did that um mailer around hot in the shade they did a reach out right they did like a mini kind of focus group thing saying what would you want from kiss they did some kind of a survey of some type oh, that's around that time. That I, vaguely, Poly, I vaguely remember that. Polygram did that to find out, you know, what's going on with Kiss? How do we jumpstart this, you know? And I believe, if I'm not confusing all this, I'm sure one of the listeners will know for sure, um, that one of the big results was we want to hear a Gene single or we want more Gene back, which also was one of the things that kind of propelled Gene, you know, uh, turning into like unholy gene again or something like that. So yeah, I think there was a mail on like a postcard or something. I, I vaguely remember. I may have one. I'd have to look in my boxes. Yeah. Hey, yeah. before we before I, I want to turn the tables a little bit just because I'm interested. Um, this is off topic for Kiss, but Ron, what's this rat thing you're doing? Because I love that. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Thanks. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm secretly a huge rat fan. I It's never a band I, I I go to right away if people ask me or something, but I've always really liked them. I, I think they could have been a lot more, too. I think Out of the Cellar 
with better lyrics. I think it could have been a really big classic rock album. Oh, and uh, I but, love them. Yeah. And, and it's, they, yeah. as everyone here knows, I'm not a hair metal. I get upset when they get thrown into hair metal because they're not. They're great. They're great hard rock. There was a lot more going on there under the hood, right? The whole dual yeah. guitar stuff. Songwriting, um, guitar playing. Uh, yeah. Lots is a great drummer. I oh, totally. Oh. Totally. Anyways, let's hear about what's going on with you and Rat. What's what's so, so what happened was, and uh, talking with some pals, uh, we we started talking, and I'm like, you know, I could do a Stephen Piercy voice, and, uh, and my friend Mike said, oh, could you? So I said, mama di mama, yeah, I can. So he kind of put me to the test. We talked about what song to do. I picked Lay It Down because I think it's an ultimate rat song. I think it has all the elements of rat in, in, in one little concise package. It's a great tune. It's a great riff. It's a great hook, great production, great drumming. I mean, that drum pattern, nobody else played that throughout the 80s on any single. I mean, it's just such a, a different kind of song. That that bridge has a real cool little thing going on. And I think it's prime uh, Stephen Piercy and... Um, so we went and recorded it really fast. We put it together. Uh, Mike, Michael Bruce was a guy who put together another guitar guy, a bass player he works in. And then we had the whole thing mastered, actually, by Bruno Ravel uh, of Danger Danger, who does a lot of that stuff today. And, and it sounds fantastic. We, you know, we got the, the guitar tone. We, I tried to be piercy as much as possible. Then we did the video, you know, where I'm doing the lay it down, you know, moves and stuff. And um, luckily, a lot of people liked it. So it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I was really happy. They're going to be on the Kiss Cruise. Dude, when I saw that, I was like, whoa. And I don't know if you saw that because Alex is like, Ron, are you going to go? And I'll tell you, that just got me so excited. I, I don't know, man. I, I, I kind of would love to be on that cruise. Yeah, I, I, my bands, we opened up for when he did his solo stuff. And oh, did you? Yeah, he's he's. I, and here's something too. I'm a I'm a voracious reader. I I love rock bios, and I've read tons, even by bands that they're an artist. I'm not even really a fan of. Uh, sure, the Chuck, sure. The Chuck Negron one, the guy from Three Dog Night, was one Dog of the Night, best yeah. ever. That book's insane great. So I've taken chances on books. Again, I like Rat a lot. They're one of my favorite '80s hard rock bands because, but for everything you just said, they're just the you know the great tones, the cool drumming, the great choruses. You know th th those mm -hmm. records, are fantastic. I'm going to tell you though, Stephen Piercy's book was fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. That book, I didn't want it to end. I'm like, oh my. And again, I bought that on a whim. I'm like, okay, I like Rad. It, it, it'll, you know, whatever. I'm, this is, I sometimes call those books like, you know, ladder, bridge books. But, but, but I'm waiting for another one to come. I'll just read this one really quick. And fuck, yeah, I think it's dynamite. There's some incredible stories. And his relationship with Van Halen was yeah. just so yeah. surprising. I didn't know anything about that. So, um, yeah, but anyways, yeah, I've been digging seeing your Facebook stuff about the, the rap. <laughs> I was curious how that came about. So, so yeah, and um, I think Piercy's an underrated, uh, like, rock star of the 80s, too. I mean, the whole fashion, the whole look he had, it was a very cultivated yet unique kind of thing. Um, and, Remember, and they I, wanted to be yeah. fashion rock. They yep. didn't. 
They yes. didn't want to. Yes. They didn't want to be the black leather, and you know, they wanted to be fashionable. I mean, I, I think that Mike, isn't that what he said? Did yeah. He no, I, I was, was going to bring that up. That that you know, they've got the heavy hard rock sound, but they've got a very fashionable, pretty look to themselves. Almost. Yes. You could almost sit here and go, are they responsible for the the Kiss Asylum look? Was was the fashion rock trend that Rat started what led to Ozzy's Ultimate Sin look and the, the Asylum Tour look? You know, it it, it could because be because it argued. wasn't all out glam. You know no, what I mean? Wasn't. It wasn't. It, yeah. They weren't no, no. It it was very new wave. Basically, Piercy at his peak of doing that fashion rock thing, dressed like a member of Duran Duran. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like a heavy metal Duran Duran. Right? Yeah, totally. Totally, dude. And and I think that's just so cool that he had the balls to do that. I mean, that's that's a really big you know, kind of I, crossover I, thing. You know? I love Rat's music. And I've been a fan of Rat since the they started. And I yeah. saw them, you know, on, on many tours. I mean, I saw Bon Jovi opening for Rat. Um, you saw that tour? I saw, you I saw that, that invasion? Tour. Yep. And, nice. Uh, but here's nice. the thing about Rat that always struck me. They were, they were lame as a live band in a giant arena. I felt like the music was great, but I felt like this was a band that was just pulled out of the whiskey, thrown onto this giant stage in front of an arena, yeah. And didn't know what to do with a giant stage. Oh, we'll put a whole bunch of lights and we'll put a bunch of ramps and all this other stuff. And that's like, okay, great, but that's not using the stage. That's not being comfortable. I felt like they just weren't in their comfort zone playing to an arena full of people. I felt like Rat needed to be a much more intimate band. Mark, have you seen them live? Yeah, a few times. I saw. What do you think? Um, I gotta admit, I, I just, I, I love the music. I thought like Mike, I, I saw them, I never saw them headline. I saw them a bunch of times open. I saw them at a festival. I saw them open for Judas Priest. Um, God, I'm trying to, I, I, again, I saw them multiple times. Um, didn't I, Brian told me that Jakey Lee was in Rat? But yes, he was prior to them being... Rat. I didn't know that. He just told me that now. And Lisa, you need to watch my invasion of your privacy. Uh, rat laid down cover. I'm not friends with you on the Facebook. We're, we're gonna we're gonna address we'll address that issue too. Okay. And also we um, but we'll post the video in the in the three sides. Maybe we'll do yes, that or yes, something. Yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, you said something about the live act, Mike, and, and, you know, two points about that. I did see them headline the Garden on Dancing Undercover. I did see that show. And uh, there's a real rough handheld uh, video camera version of that on YouTube. They were awesome at that. But you're talking about a career highlight, like one of the biggest right. shows of the career. Uh, it was amazing, amazing show. However, when this band, they did a quick slide. By the time of the Reach for the Sky tour, I saw the Nassau show. And I thought I was seeing two different bands. I mean, wow. Piercy was like mad at that show. He was like kicking some guy, having some guy kicked out. I mean, you're right. I think maybe they weren't quite the um, 
um, in, in that era, uh, the good performer, certainly not a Gene or Paul on stage, but um, they, they, not they, even they, just, like, they, they felt like yeah. they never they they were allowed to move up and play arenas because they could sell that many tickets, but they were still a bar band. I'm well, like, I'm going to piggyback yeah. on that a little bit. I was just going through um, some bootlegs last night. And when I came down to ours, I think they only have one live rat show. They weren't one of those bands where you collected their live shows. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Here's where I'm gonna bring that up. I love Motley Crue, but they're terrible live. I mean, it works. They're fun to go see them play live. All but- right. Yeah. All right. But Mark, wait a minute. All right. Wait. I'm gonna put an asterisk there, and that's asterisk. That's not asterisk like people think, but. Asterisk is the the French little cartoon character. Um, But, all right, Motley is interesting. Well, first of all, I love any Motley. I love Sloppy Motley. I love love Fat Vince. I think Fat Vince is awesome. He's on stage, and he's like Udo now. It's so cool. (laughs) And I just... (laughs) But but I love any Motley crew, but I will tell you... God, I just said that. Um... I think they were really tight as a band, Mark. I got to say, if you go back and watch it, there's tons of bootlegs, video and otherwise. Generation Swine Tour, I think that band, Vince sang, he was awesome. Uh, I think they were just great as a band. I think there were times when they pushed. You know, the story of Motley Crue is they were a personality band. They really were driven by their personalities. They were party-hardy dudes in the 80s. You know, Six was dark. Vince was like a heavy metal Spicoli type of thing. Save your jokes about me. And I love the whole Motley thing. They appeal to our inner white trash on some level, you know? Here's here's the part. Here's Here's where I'm getting it. I love, capital L, love Molly. Saw them when they were an opener, saw the stadium shows. Seen. I made sure I saw both of the farewell shows in Detroit. I love the crew. Love, love, love them. Here's the thing, because I'm a big bootleg guy. You know how many Motley Crew bootlegs I go to listen to? None. I like Wait a minute. The, because I like the studio stuff way better. Just like Rat, I like the studio stuff way better now i love rainbow i'd rather listen to any any whether it's bonnet dio or uh, or jolyn turner i'd rather listen to any live show of that band over any studio record and i love the studio records that's my point there's certain bands i'd rather listen to live rad ain't one of them motley crew ain't one of them yeah, mark that is very stone cold of you <laughs> I think is there go listen to some theater of pain bootlegs. Theater of pain, there are they are totally well, rehearsed. Look at the time. That, that, <laughs> that All right, I'll go back to me. Well, you don't like theater of pain, dude? I City Boy Blues. Theater of pain. That was. Oh, dude, that is a. There's a lot of good '70s hard rock on there. Well, City Boy on, Blues. That now, um, uh, what's the first song on the first side? Um, City Boy Blues. The demo buries the fucking. That Simmons good drum demo. sound is horrible. That slickness is horrible. You're right. That's a great song. City Boy Blues fucking rules. Too bad the production ruins it. It and takes I know. the blues out of it. It takes all the soul out of it. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Sounds like shit. Hold on a it second. It does. I want to raise your hand to rock. Rock really? All right, all right, all right. That's fucking it, horrible. That was a misfire. That song was a misfire. The whole but, 
records of Mishvat. So there's two other people here that should be helping me. Um, <laughs> you, we've you we've had our motley it. discussions before. Dude, I, I want to be in on them because use it or lose it is awesome. Tonight We Need a Lover is total, like, sweet glam rock. That middle section, dude, with the organ, you like Deep Purple? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> do you? I don't know that, do you? Oh, I, but, you can say that. But I, I think, and, and Home Sweet Home is one of those songs. Oh, my God. Ugh. Home Sweet Home is cool. It's like one of those songs where it, it actually rose above Motley Crue. Um, in terms of production, that's a really well done song. Great guitar solo on there, and um, 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 that that is probably Wait, Lisa. You don't like Motley, Lisa. You don't like Motley Crue. I do, but not like a not. I never got into them as much as some people did. I mean, okay, so besides besides Kiss, what's your favorite band? Tiger Tales, right? Oh, you know what? Actually, I do like Tiger Tales, but no. That's Whoa, oh boy. Mike, do you hear this? Boy. Yeah. Oh boy. So don't they do Love Bomb? Love Dude, bomb, baby. Love, I'm huge. Bomb, I, I have love bomb, baby. Won't you blow me away? Tiger tails, man. Dude, for, that's a great song. Um, fully singing love bomb, baby. That's awesome. Uh, I love. I think my second favorite is Alice Cooper. So solo, solo Alice Cooper. We're not talking Alice Cooper group, or we're talking Alice everything. Cooper, whatever he does, I love. Uh, sure, sure. And Kiss and Alice are pretty close. Up there in the running, and then I like Billy Joel, Queen. It goes. It's I roller coaster, but um, uh, like I loved the the obscure Motley Crue. Like I love Generation Swine. Oh, love uh, Generation Swine. I think, just think that's a neat album. Um, I like, um, of course, the self titled because I have a spot for John Coffey. So yeah, um, yeah, right, right. I love that album. I never got into like the Theater of Pain. Or um, shout out the devil. I just not, and there's nothing against them. I just that wasn't. I was in. I was doing like enjoying Kiss around that time, and there was a time where I didn't think any other band existed except Kiss. So I didn't really venture too far outside of the Kiss realm. But you know, right, as right. I got older and I started to hear new music, well, new music which was old before, but um, like gener- I love Generation Swine again. A really uh, albums nobody really likes, you know. So. I mean, I take it or leave it, but. Find Myself is awesome, and uh, Afraid is like a really yeah. good Cheap Trick-inspired yeah. tune. I think it could have been produced better without the bleeps and the bloops, and um, yeah. I think they, if they sped up the tempo a little bit on that, I think it should have been a little faster. And, you know, that actually did okay at radio in 97, which was pretty surprising. They actually did all right with that. I don't know if Electra bought that at the time, but, you know, they did make a little bit of headway with Afraid. At t- and then the album kind of just died. And well, I like half it. that record's like brilliant. The other half is terrible. That record is 50-50. Yeah. Half of it is yes. fucking some of the greatest yeah. stuff. That Let us pray? Come on. That's fucking incredible. <laughs> You know, tip your head because he co-wrote that song. And you can tell yes. that left over from those other sessions. But yes. Yes. I will tell you, I've only walked out of a couple concerts. I walked out on the Generation Swine Tour. Dude! Cheap, hold on, Cheap Trick opened, and they were dynamite. They were. And then they were. when they, they started playing that Brandon shit, I'm like, First and foremost, oh, okay, it's at the yeah, palace, yeah. and I fucking hate the palace. And I'm like, I'm not listening to them play this glitter and Brandon bullshit 
for the next 20 minutes before they get to, you know, the encore. Fuck this. I'm leaving now. And I left. I, I, I was so upset that they were they even started playing that stuff. I'm like, what are you doing? It's terrible. So yeah, I walked out of the of the fucking Generation Swine tour when it came through Detroit. That's that's pretty yeah. mighty. Because I thought it was that bad. That's a big rejection. That's like a wholesale rejection. Like to leave the venue. You left the venue, dude. You got your car and you left. You're like, I don't want this. Like, peace out. Michael, did you ever watch Walk It All concert? Um. I don't think I've ever done them. Did you ever do it? Oh, wait a minute. I have one. Wait, Mike, hold your thought as you okay. as you process. I fell asleep at Aerosmith. And I'll tell you why. Because I'm a KISS fan, number one. As we know, you know, in the 70s, Aerosmith versus KISS, man. That's a big dividing line thing. And Aerosmith are incredibly overrated. Um, but also, oh. when they got back together, too, done with Mirrors era, um, they played like the night after uh, KISS, Asylum Tour at the Meadowlands. So I got to see like two different kinds of audiences there. Did you see how my hands look kind of cool when I did that? Um, it's very dramatic. It was, right? It was like, you, I, um, the Asylum Tour was awesome. I mean, and Kiss laid to waste the Meadowlands. And I went to see, it was done with mirrors. So this is a before Rebirth Aerosmith. All stoners are like coming out of the woodwork. It's like when Alice went back on the road. Yeah. Like the Nightmare Returns, like, you know, 85, like around there. And um, I remember just being behind the stage. I was watching it and I just couldn't be into it. I kind of like fell asleep. It was those, it was that half a beer I had too in the parking lot as a 15 year old. But um, yeah, man, that's my story. But back to you, Mike. Um, I walked out of a Kiss concert. <laughs> I know the story. <laughs> 2007. 2007. What'd you do, Mike? Um, it was, uh, mm. I took Katrina on a date up to Canocti Harbor, Northern California. It was when they did like a small hit and run, like six shows type of thing. It wasn't a real tour. And uh, took her up there. I'm like, I'm going to impress her. I'll get backstage passes and we'll meet the band and get photos. And all of that happened. But what it was, it, it, first of all, it's like a, two plus hour drive to get there up through the mountains in northern california and when the main set of the show ended and it was you know the downtime between for the encore to start i looked at her and i said let's leave she's like are you sure you want to leave i go yeah you know i don't want to battle traffic getting out of here and i know exactly what's going to happen this is when, in my opinion, KISS was in a major rut with their live show. The set list hadn't changed for many years. The stage hadn't changed for many years. The only thing that was changing was the name of the tour and maybe the costumes. Everything else was the same. And, 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 and I do admit I'm probably jaded because I saw so many tours from especially from the farewell tour where that basic stage was created, you know, it was the stacked amps. And for many yeah, years, all yeah. they did was, well, let's just change what's on the face of those amps, but it's still the same thing. I saw so many of them, so many of those sets. I was just like, I don't fucking want to be here. There's no reason to stay for a kiss show where I know exactly what's going to 
come out, what the stage rap's going to be, what the song is going to be, what's going to happen to lead from one song to the next song. It's like, fuck this. Let's get out of here before right. the parking lot empties. Sure, and and sure. that was the last show I went to for seven years because I was just done with Kiss being lame, basically. It's like, I just can't deal with that anymore. Now, there are two other shows I didn't walk out of, but I was bored off my ass, and I didn't leave because the tickets were so expensive. Rolling Stones and Bruce Springsteen. Wow. Bruce. So Rolling Stones, first of all, I will be the first to admit I've never been a huge Rolling Stones fan. But when I was working for the merchandise company, we could we could get tickets and good tickets. We had to pay for them, but we could guarantee you get good tickets if we wanted to. So right. I'm like, all right, you know, I guess I got to got to go see Rolling Stones at least once in my life. And I went, and it was, I was just bored off my ass watching these guys. Um, Bruce Springsteen, never been a huge Boss fan either. All right, I'm gonna go. Want to add that to my bucket list that I saw Bruce. Well, I picked one of the tours where he decided not to play all of his hits on that tour and decided to go to the deep catalog. And I'm like, well, fuck oh, no. this. I don't know the shit that you're playing. <laughs> I, I, you know, I want to hear nothing oh, but the dude. greatest hits. So I yeah, just sat, you yeah. know, I, I literally sat there and just was like, all right, is it over yet? Is it over yet? Look, look at the time. Is it over yet, Bruce? <laughs> I love the Stones, but you know you're right. They they you want to talk about a band that does like Vegasy versions. I just lost my earpiece of um, Vegasy versions of Operator. Are you there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. okay. Um, they really do blow through it. Like the way they sing the song, like it's just it, it's it's amazing how their their versions of the songs are very drive by. You know, it it they they also felt somewhat like how I described Rat. It's like. Because this was the tour where they had the main stage, and then they had a smaller stage out in the center, yes. and they all went out and played some. Yeah, yeah. When yeah. they were on that smaller stage, it seemed so much cooler. It seemed, you know, gritty and dirty and raw. When they were on this big stage, I'm like, you guys are, you're you're not an arena band. Yeah, you can sell arena level tickets, but I felt like you just weren't using the stage. And and maybe that's me as a Kiss fan going, I want a band that knows how to use a stage. Motley Crue is another example of a band that they graduated out of the whiskey and went to the arenas. They knew what they were doing when they went to the arenas. They blew you away in concert. You might not have liked oh, yeah. all of the songs, but, you know, that Theater of Pain tour... My head still explodes when I think about the moment that drum risers went up at an angle going, what the fuck am I watching? And, you know, the Girls, Girls, Girls tour was, to me, the epitome of an 80s arena extravaganza of more lights and more pyro, and they were all over the place. The Rolling Stones, to me, other than Mick, who's all over the place, I was like, why do you need this big stage? You're not using this big stage. There was something Mark said in uh, the Nico thing last week. Um, I think he said it. He spoke to the dynasty stage. And it's a really interesting point that the focal point on the dynasty stage, I love the dynasty stage. I'm a huge dynasty tour guy. But when you start spreading out and Gene's up there somewhere and Paul's over there, the focus of the energy 
was lost from like a direct forward movement. It got frittered. It got weakened. Um, and that's a good point about Jagger, you know, too. You only have like one energy source. Yeah. And now All he's right. over so there. I'm, I'm watching there. this one energy source. I don't need, you know, a 150 foot stage for one guy because the other guys, you know, and I'm not taking away from their ability or anything, but for the most part, they're they're not using the stage is what it comes down to. They, the rest of the band didn't use the stage. And that just that's why it felt like when they were on that smaller stage, it felt it felt like I was seeing more of a a a, sure. a bar band, a gritty band. It's like, okay, I could get that. You wanna you wanna see the Rolling Stones in a club. That's where you get right. the real Rolling Stones. Totally. Totally. Not not in a freaking stadium. I'm, I'm going on record here that you guys are both on crack. I have this <laughs> list as long as my fucking arm of Rolling Stones bootlegs that I play in the car routinely because they're so fucking incredible live. And as I said on this show before, is Kiss my favorite band? Yes. But if they said you only have, you're on a desert island, you get one cat wow. the rest of your life. I'm not. It's not even a fucking second thought. It's the Rolling Stones. But but Mark, to your point, I'm not talking about the music. I'm talking about the visual. And I, and, I've and, seen and the I remember the, a bunch of times. The I, very I, first I can't time. See the Stones enough. The very I first time them. I had this thought was back in the '80s when I went and saw Jay Giles on the Centerfold tour. And I sat there and I'm like, "Fuck! I could just sit here and close my eyes and listen to the record." That's all I'm getting on this this stage show from these guys is nothing, and, and like I want and and that's what really cemented Kiss for me was like I want a band that gets up on that stage, busts their fucking ass, entertains the shit out of the entire arena. I want we raise hell. Yeah, I I Hold want I want, Jay Giles I want I want to think probably right below the Rolling Stones and greatest live bands of all time. Just, I, I can sleep, I can sleep guys, through that I mean, show. I'm just telling you, I mean, the, the reason their live albums are so successful, Blow Your Face Out and Full House, that's that's where you don't need pyro. That's where the fucking tunes take over. The, the, the fuck Jay Giles. But man, but but you I, know when I'm when I'm spending the money for a concert ticket and I'm taking <laughs> and the parking and everything else, that's the Kiss philosophy. I want to be completely entertained when you're on stage. I don't want to see a bunch of people sitting there, standing in one spot, playing great music. No doubt it's great music. But if that's all you're going to do, what the fuck am I doing here? Oh, I could just buy your just... live I could buy your live album, go home, turn the lights down, <laughs> oh, and I'll have the oh, same experience. Don't get me wrong. There's see there's Dude, this is Mike on fire. He's on fire. Here. Hold on, there's, there's a dichotomy here. But he gets up like this, you know, he <laughs> he got up, right? He leaned into it. There's there's, you know there's the kiss and the motley crew and, and that kind of stuff. Right, and, right. Yeah, obviously I love the trappings. I yeah, that's cool. And then there's Mick Jagger and there's fucking Peter Wolf. And there's yeah, guys yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. bringing. I know. And you watch those guys and you get so and Steven Tyler too. Guys that you just those are great from it. David Lee Roth's the same thing. Van Halen didn't need shit blowing up. They just no, went out there and no. fucking Roth was the fucking story. And still right, is. Here here's the thing, and you know this for being a Midwesterner. Jay Giles by 82 was already a beyond seasoned major live act. 
major live act doing huge venues in the 70s. It's kind of lost the time. You know, these Jay Giles, these Bostons, Ted Nugent did major venues, a major touring entity in the 70s. Jay Giles is also kind of in that lost category where people don't realize that they were a big, badass, boogie woogie I shared band. this on the show. Kiss would play, you know, Kiss in Detroit, in Detroit Rock City, couldn't touch fucking Jay Giles in, in right. the, in the right. late 70s. I know, early fucking, I know. They would play a week, seven months, yeah, I know. days in a row. I know. That's how big Jay Giles was here. And it's I, kind of a loss. Even a remote yeah. fucking exaggeration. They would play a week at Pine Knob. A whole wow. motherfucking week. Wow. That's how big they were here. That's cool. And it, people forget that. That's a big thing in rock history, you know. Or, you know, Ted Nugent's Whiplash Bash, you know. Yeah, every New Year's but, Eve. I went, to, I went to all of them. Wow. That's awesome, dude. Um, I was going to say something, and I totally lost it. But one point I do remember, when Mike was talking about 2007, of this band called Kiss, what they really did dip and lose their own for a while. And I think, and it's a good show topic almost, like Sonic Boom was a big rebirth era in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. Um, the live show, um, and of course the record, that was a New- really cool era. You, you're 100% right, because, you know, I, I left working with Kiss in 2005, but I can tell you from that... Right from the end of the Aerosmith tour up until Sonic Boom, it was very much like uh, a ship with nobody steering. There was no, they, they didn't know. It was just like, okay, we got a tour again. Well, why are we touring? I don't know. We'll just call it the Rock the Nation tour. Okay, same stage, same blah, 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 blah. We'll just do yeah. it again. Mm-hmm. Oh, we need new costumes. All right, well, let's go back and pull out the live costumes and we'll use those. There was, you know. There was nothing. Yeah. As a Kiss yeah. fan growing up in the '70s, we always remember that what Kiss always said was, "We compete with nobody but ourselves. All but we want to think... do is be better than what we did on the last tour." And right, I think right. between 2005 and 2007, they weren't even competing with themselves anymore. To what? Between 2005 and Sonic Boom, they weren't competing with themselves anymore. They kind of lost the fire. They lost the drive. They lost Sonic the drive. Boom just gave say them a theme, a focus, a target. It was a new album. It was brand new costumes. I mean, as as Kiss fans, we all got to admit whether you like the costumes or not, it was exciting as hell for the first time in decades oh, yeah. to see brand new costumes so that revive i think that is what ignited the fire that's allowed them to keep going until now was they finally got back and focused on something it wasn't just well what are we going to do to get that next tour advance what are we doing to get the next merchandise advance it was like we need a reason they were just going through the motion yeah yep they were they were and i think though the other piece of that is that it was like a conduit when they said, Hey, we're going to do a record and it's going to be, you know, sort of a throwback. Um, we're going to do costumes. You know, I think the fans giving off so much enthusiasm from that, I think that really created a whole circuit of just feel good vibe around that era too. Yep. That was, they really gave the fans what they wanted on that. The stage show, like you said, they revamped the stage show. And, um, I have to say, you know, I'm, I'm a, a, a 
Kiss drummers is a big topic for me as a, as a drummer and stuff, as you know, Mark. And um, whatever they were paying Eric Singer on that tour, they should have paid him double because that was a time when I realized he was hustling back there. He was doing more and more vocals. That's when he came on strongly with vocals. <clears throat> Excuse me, as my voice goes um, around that time. I don't know what that was. Um, and uh, a guy walks into a doctor's office with a frog on his head. <laughs> <clears throat> but anyway, that was my point that I kind of lost there. But yeah, I, I thought it was a really good era. Sonic Boom should go down in history as a really good time. That was, a, that was the rebirth of KISS. It, totally. You know, I, I, I would venture to say if Sonic Boom didn't happen, it was just another tour, KISS wouldn't be where they are today with the End of the Road tour. They wouldn't be as big as they are. They would have continued to falter and get slower and lower yep. and lower. Yep. Sonic Boom is what saved them. It was a new era of brand building, too. I mean, I don't mean to be all corporate sounding, but it really was, like you said, where people just said, hey, look, they're, they're working for this, man. Well, I'm putting out records. It, it, it was, tours. you know, again, as 70s and 80s KISS fans, we all grew up understanding that KISS was a touring band and still an active recording band. You knew it was going to happen year after year after year after year. Once the reunion hit, all the way up until Sonic Boom, that wasn't really the case anymore it was just let's tour and let's do a show and tour and a show and a tour and a show all of a sudden with sonic boom it felt like they were a full band acting like a band touring recording an album promoting an album it felt yeah. good and you know the quick one-two punch of then monster coming out again not going to talk about whether you like the albums or not it was just exciting that there all of a sudden was but, another change of costumes and another album and another brand new stage. I would add one small little uh, misstep to that, though. I think holding back Monster a year was a mistake in the long run. I think they lost some momentum there on that record. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a lackey for both those records. I'm on record on this show saying I think Sonic Boom is the best record they did after creatures um barely barely a hair back if if i had to again desert island if i had to choose sonic boom over revenge i would i love that record because i think that wow. was the most pure kiss record since the original six and what i mean by that is this when Kiss was writing, you know, the first six records, it was very organic, you know, um, not a whole ton of of extra writers. And even the extra writers that came in, like, you know, when Peter needed Penridge or they weren't bringing in Holly Knight. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah. On those yeah. records. And I think I always say this, like, there's nothing on crazy nights that I think could be on Love Gun, where I think modern day Delilah could have been on Love Gun. I mean, there's a whole host of songs on that record, if not every song, that there is a thin line that goes back to the original six, six records. It's four on the floor, hard rock. Everybody's playing their instrument. They didn't bring in all these outside writers. And you can tell that the bass player, Gene Simmons, is playing bass on everything. <laughs> and you can tell yeah, that, yeah. 
you know, they, they there was no ghost musicians on this one. This, damn it, this is Kiss that I love. I don't yeah. care that it didn't sell a billion copies. Who cares? All I know is I'm happy because I can listen to this whole fucking record in order with a big smile on my face. I love fucking Sonic Boom. It's one of my favorite Kiss records. And it's one of my favorite Kiss records for the same reason that I hold the first six albums in such high esteem. It was the guys writing their own tunes and showing yeah. us who they were. And I think I think that Sonic Boom is probably the most honest record they did and and since again Creatures just it there wasn't an ounce of pretense with it. And you know, it's funny before we got on it and and, and it, it just because it ties in. You know, it was very nice of you to comment on, on, on you know, my band's new record before we were, we were talking and stuff. But it's that same philosophy. We didn't sit down and go, we're going to write this because we think it's going to do something. It's like, we wrote this because this is what we like. And it's cool that other people like it. And I think when Kiss was writing Sonic Boom, they weren't going... Oh, I think this is a hit. You know, and it's like, no, we're going to write songs that we like. And, right. and hopefully the Kiss Army likes them because that's how Strutter was written. That's how Deuce was written. They weren't going, oh, how calculated. And I'll give you a great example. I love Aerosmith, humongous Aerosmith fan. Um, but they still haven't gotten it to me because that um, the very last latest record they did or whatever – Steven Tyler had to have a duet with Carrie Underwood on it, you know, on that music for, you know, whatever it is. And I'm like, no, Steven, that's not what we want at this point. At this point, you're in your fucking 60s. Go back like Kiss did and go, this is what got us to where we are. This is why this yeah. is why we have all these fans. Play some fucking hard rock, goddammit. And that's what yeah. I want to hear from you. I don't need duets with fucking Carrie Underwood on Aerosmith Records. You know why? Because I didn't need that from the debut record all the way through fucking Done With Mirrors. I didn't need that. I wanted just rock and roll. And that's what I think Kiss captured in both Sonic Boom and Monster. Here's rock and roll, kids. This is what we do. And there's not an ounce of fucking pretense on either one of those fucking records. At all. I love them. Both those records to me mean a lot. I wish Monster would have been produced a little bit better. I think it's a hair muddy. And uh, I wasn't crazy about the overall mix. Um, yeah, damn, yeah, I agree. I agree. Good. Damn, those songs are good. So I think um, Modern Day Delilah stands up to anything in any era. I agree. It, it, you know, I really do. I really do. And I think that's a career high solo for Tommy Thayer. Me too. That's a great guitar solo. Man, that whole screeching at the end. Oh, he's going for it, man. And um, that, I'm really happy that we have that as a statement from them as a band as late as 2009. That's a good tune. You know what I mean? Like, well, I'm glad the whole song. Heller, Helen, Hallelujah, Heller, Hallelujah. That part where where Paul, if if you catch that part during the guitar solo, where he's almost doing a little Robert Plant thing, where he's screaming along. Yes, the yes. I still get hairs, the hairs on my arm yeah, yeah, every time I yeah. hear that. And again, that song could have been on Love Gun. I mean, that's, a good tune. that's a good tune. <laughs> <It's absolutely laughs> good. It was, sir. It's just uh, masqueraded as something else. But, but totally. My, that's my point on that, though. That's Kiss to me. That yeah, why not? Holly Knight writing, you know, 
this big chorus and sh- no, no, no. That was Paul Stanley going, Hey, I'm going to write a kiss song. That sounds like kiss. <laughs> I think you're, yeah, no, I agree with you more. I think you're speaking to is, you know, the, the best bands, whether, um, it's it's Kiss or the Ramones or or whatever band. They come up with their own little vocabulary, their own little stockpile of riff styles, of lyrical go-tos and things. So if something like a Hell or Hallelujah, um, uh, you know, echoes something like I Stole Your Love, well, that's cool because there's a million Ramones songs that do that. You know, they, they came up with their own vocabulary. They have a right to do that, have things that call back. Cheap Trick is another band like that where some of the recent stuff will be throwbacks to, you know, what they've done, because that's their whole little musical vocabulary, the whole own little sound they've developed. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Ron, yes, I've been doing this for uh, almost two and a half hours. I know it's crazy. And, and you know wow, what that means? Right? <laughs> if, you're, if you're an active listener, you know that means we've got to feed Mark. So, Tommy. <laughs> so before we wrap yes still recording give us an update and talk about your book i'm gonna call you yeah, sure just wrapping up so thanks uh i i have finished my uh book writing and editing my book conversations with phantoms uh, exclusive interviews about kiss meets the phantom of the park i finally finished it uh, a couple weeks ago i've been working on it in clumps you know and um, I got it to a point, guys, where I think I would buy the book. You know what I mean? So that's where I knew it was done. Again, it's uh, 13 interviews um, with guys like Deke Hayward, who executive produced it, uh, to Bill Coin. Um, you know, many of these folks are no longer with us. And these interviews were also conducted in the early 2000s, which, you know, let's just face it, memories were a little better back then, right? As this was closer to 1978. So I think on the interviews alone, I think it's a it's a it's a cool little project to put out there, you know, in the kiss world. I think people are going to enjoy reading that. And then on top of it, um, as this is all about the writing and and I'm a writer, um, I've written, you know, some related uh, little, you know, fun essay things or things I've noticed about the movie um, just to make the whole thing a good time in the spirit of the film. Um, It's it's um, it's fun. It's a it's a lighthearted, fun read. But again, if you're looking for some cool nuts and bolts stuff, the interviews do have that as well. So I, I, I think it's good. I, I'm pretty excited about it. And at the point right now, Mike, I've basically um, let the publisher know it's, it's ready to go. And he's going to um, get in touch with me. We're just going to slap together the layout. And then we're looking to get it available for purchase um, on the Bear Manor Media website ASAP. Good for well, you. as soon as it is, you've got to come back on and we'll talk just about your book. Yeah, that's really cool. That would be awesome. I, I'm really excited about it. I, I think it's something, you know, to just to get these interviews out there, I think fans are really uh, going to enjoy reading them. I, I think as I went through it now this time, it, it finally got to a point in the gestation process where I felt this makes sense. This is something readable. And, and it's a read, kids. This isn't a photo book. I just want to say that. There's nothing against photo books. I love them. Um, but th- I'm a writer, and, and I really wanted to write this. I, I love things like Kiss and Sell that are word-heavy. I like to write things and hew them out until they're as good as they can be. And um, this book is a read. It's, it's definitely a reading-type thing. So I think there's room for that in, in the KISS book world, is all I'm saying. And I think people will like it because of that. Good. Do you want us to review it? 
You want to take that chance? Yeah, man. Of course. Yeah, dude. I'm in. Of course. You know, um, I'm not scared about that. <gasps> no, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. As soon as it as soon as it becomes available for order, send us the link, and we'll make sure to get that shared to all the fans as well. Sure, man. Absolutely. Anything else you want to plug? Uh, well, we talked about invasion of your privacy. And Mark, um, do you have the the rap bootleg of uh, Donington '85? I think it is. That's a great show, by the way. The rap. Oh, rap. Oh, yes, rap. Not not rap. You said, said rap. I'm like, huh? Yes, there's a fat boy show I need you to hear. It's so good. They do wipeout. <laughs> they do that horrible follow up. What they do? They did like a chubby checker. Uh, yeah, they did. You're right. They did. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's twist again or something. The small details, Mike. The small details that are in here. Um, yes, let's twist again, dude. It was horrible. Yes. It was. It was. <laughs> I love but, yeah, I'm um, a big fan of old school rap. I, I, oh, sure. Well, I, you know what it is? It's just being a drummer. Because people go, especially back right. in the day, they're like, you're in the metal. I'm like, yeah, I love all that stuff. Run DMC and all that. Are you fucking kidding me? It's Dude, it's beats. I'm addicted to that shit. I, I yeah. love anything with a great rhythm, you know? Anybody anybody that likes a good uh, beat or is a drummer or something needs to listen to, like, Curtis Blow, The Breaks. Oh, oh it's fucking um, phenomenal. And and go backwards too, you know stuff like Parliament, of course. Oh, I'm a um, huge, huge funk fan. I, so good, so good, man. Um, I love all that stuff. And I and love um, Doctor Funkenstein, <laughs> fuck, fuck, I dig that shit, man. That's great stuff. If you don't like my music, you... Lisa, I think we I, I we I think we've got a future show here where Mark is going to have to rap for us. I know. I was just thinking that too. I was like, I didn't know he had it in him. Oh, again, just <laughs> that whole just being a drummer. Beats to me are like fucking chocolate donuts, man. I can't get enough. So I love, like you said, you know, Curtis Blow. I, I love, uh, you, you know what's funny? Because it was a really big single. But you know what rap fucking record rules? What's the Young MCs? That whole record. Music in the, music in the heart? Uh, was that what's called with the big hit on it? Uh, Young MC's record with the big hit on it. Um, well, the song was "Music of the Heart" or "Music in no, the no, Heart." No, 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 the, the song was. Uh... Oh my god, I'm totally wrong. I'm totally wrong, dude. Yep. Paul, um... edit this out. Um, <laughs> what was it, dude? I know what you're thinking. I know. I know what you're talking about. Young MC. Anybody oh, can jump on, in here, Lisa. Lisa. Anybody can jump in here. First in my head. I'm googling. It was his biggest hit. Buster Move. Google it. Just yes, Move. there you go. Yes. That whole record is matter of fact, they sampled the wizard by Black Sabbath on that record. That that whole record. Whoa. Is, Move. And I tell you another fucking is the digital underground with Humpty Dance on it. The whole rest of that record is phenomenal. <laughs> wow. Dude, I love that stuff. Again, being, yeah, yeah. being a drummer, I just old school rap fuck it that shit's just that's in my blood man i love that stuff and also things like um you know uh going backwards a little bit the gap band you dropped the bomb oh, on yeah. me oh yeah um i can dude, tell you right I, now I, we've literally lost every single kiss fan no, no. listening to us because no we're we didn't rap. well we did it mike wait a minute um rick james of course right of course we're gonna we're gonna like give it to me baby is like give it yeah. to me baby but fuck i 
Okay, okay. So this week this week's homework question this week's homework question is what rap album do you guys love? Well hold on, like P Funk wasn't rap. P Funk It could be R and D, like um I, what would we call that? Like, um, you know, the Gap Band and, and, and Parliament. What would you call that? We would like, call that not Kiss. <laughs> I love that. All those 70s bands. Cool. That was another thing. When Cool and the Gang opened for oh. Van Halen, that was the fucking bomb. Oh, that was awesome. That was awesome. Dude, my hot chocolate. God, was that great. Tell me you love hot chocolate. Of course. What was that one With song? marshmallows. With marshmallows, Ron. <laughs> no, Mike, no. Hot chocolate. There was one famous song they had. Um, you, sexy you sexy thing. Yeah. You sexy Great thing. tune. Okay. Dude, if you go back and listen to them, their album cuts, like their, their filler material kind of, has such groove to it. It's a heaven in the backseat of my Cadillac, for example. Um, Great stuff. Great stuff. I never thought we'd have an episode that ends with a discussion about rap music. Well, Mike, everyone's a winner, baby. No, hot chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) All right, listen, guys. Go support Ron when his book comes out. Yes. Tell us what your favorite rap album is. Oh, there was another thing about Mark. Um, His, 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 His hidden rap name, Funky But Chunky. No. He's a good dancer. I, I saw that by accident at all. That's why the ladies love me. I'm talking tons of groove. Mark's nibbling on nuts right now. <laughs> did, you just say, did you say you have tons of groove? Is that what I you do. said? <laughs> Lisa's like, I got to see some of this groove. <laughs> Dude, you're, you're a good chair dancer. I'm really good in a chair. If I have to stand up, I can't dance anymore. I in a chair, though, I'm awesome. Homework, who wants to see Mark show off some of that groove? Kiss Expo. When we're, Dude. when we're done, I have to tell you a very funny story because we got to get going here. All right. We got we got to feed Mark, Ron. I, you know, I, 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 I can hear, chat I with you, you for another two hours, but, but we're going to lose Mark. I mean, he's digging deep into his nuts right now. That's true. And I'm out of Diet Coke, so... <laughs> Mark's nuts. Grab him. <laughs> you got a cover for Tommy. That would be Tommy's lines. Oh my God, uh, he's out of nuts. So listen, guys. Tom, if Tommy's in house hell right now. If, if you're watching us on YouTube, hit that red subscribe button. If you are listening on Spotify, hit the green follow button. If you're on iTunes, subscribe. <laughs> what the fuck is that? That is a Fisher Price pocket camera. Everybody thought I was crazy. I always used to carry a camera. I used to sneak those into concerts. Yes. As, as a matter of fact, I'm putting it yeah. <laughs> um, iTunes, leave us a review, a rating, subscribe to us. Leave your homework somewhere online. That's it. Ron, you've been awesome. This was an incredible Get out chat. of here, man. Thank you for asking the questions. And uh, that's it. Three sides. We're out of here. See you guys next week. Love the show. Go to itunes.threesidesofthecoin.com 
and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks. Download your free, free copy of the KISS School of Marketing. 11 Lessons I Learned Working with KISS. The number one downloaded business book on Noise Trade. Go to books.noisetrade.com slash Michael Brandvold. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. So you love the show. Go to itunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks.